on holiday, there's nothing like doing nothing. As an Expedia member, you can save up to 30% when you add a hotel to your flight, so you can go out there with great ambition to do absolutely nothing for less. Expedia. Made to travel. James E. James E. in pro wrestling performing pile drivers and power slams to the poor puny pretenders to our palatial throne and joining me for another exciting episode where we'll get royal and we'll talk about the rumble it's hawaiian brian the podcasting lion the king of the arcadian vanguard podcast network mr co-host to you he's a prince not a pauper and he's hopping like a popcorn popper the great brian last everybody Aloha, Jim. A pleasure to be here once again for whatever this is today. The Rumble. <laughs> rumble, young man, Rumble. Ha! Ah. Oh, rumble, young man, Rumble. Yeah, I just wanted to pop a bunch of peas and, and put J Sharknado on Xanax here on the program. Now, I like the alliteration. And also, I like the power slam. Did I ever tell you the power slam story? The power slam story? No, I don't power know that. Power slam? We we all we all go to work for Crockett, right? And we're early on there. Me and the Midnight Express and Buddy Landell's already been there for a little while, right? And this is before Buddy, you know, got himself fired is what he did and ruined that big push. They were pushing him and he was going to be working with Flair and the big plans and everything, right? Well, you remember Don Kernodal, famous name in, in the Carolinas area in wrestling, and uh, Kernodal was partners with Slaughter. They had the big huge tag team rivalry and big drawing gates with uh, Steamboat and Youngblood. Don's younger brother, do you remember Rocky Kernodal? Yeah, of course. Keith Larson. Uh, well, yeah, he, he wrestled as Keith Larson also in certain places. I think in, they gave him that name in, when he worked the Knoxville Territory, possibly, or whatever, but he it, it, by 85, he's wrestling as Rocky Kernodal. You know, because Don was still a big name in in that part of the country and it is real rocky's real name was wally so you see why they were calling him rocky wally kernodal i was see you later wally gator but i'm not he was a nice guy and i'm not knocking him if he's out there somewhere but it was funny because rocky had these two big buck teeth and he had kind of a way of uh, that southern accent anyway and so basically buddy landell's working with rocky kernodal in a tv match for buddy to get over and 
he's as we've mentioned in those days main event guys worked with other guys on television or whatever based on their level of push not necessarily their talent or whatever but they hadn't been featuring rocky kernodal at all he's there to do the job right but he's going to give him a little comeback and he but he does whatever and misses something and here Rocky fires up and bam, he nails him and Buddy staggers. Bam, he nails him. Bam, he nails him. Buddy's selling the punches and everything. And as he backs him up, Rocky goes to shoot him off and he says, power slam. <laughs> <laughs> and as he shot Buddy off, and let's put it this way, folks. This was in the level of the pecking order of the talent roster. Rocky Kernodal was not of the level that was about to give Buddy Landell a power slam. He shot Buddy in the ropes, and he was waiting with his arms out for Buddy to come into him, and Buddy just football kicked him right in the stomach and DDT'd him flat on his fucking face. Boom! <laughs> <laughs> and every time he went to fuck, and then he told me and Bobby and Dennis that story, every time we went to pop each other's, we, we scream as, as somebody got shot off, Power slam. And that would be a fucking a cutoff, uh, Iggy. But anyway, that's the power slam story. Except if you were a promoter. Was Buddy Landell the most entertaining guy to have something go awry during his matches? Yes. Yeah, wait, but Buddy was Buddy was the most entertaining guy to have in the car a lot of times. He could he could get it could get old in some cases if he was in the wrong mood. But Buddy was the most entertaining guy to have around in a variety of situations that's why people loved him so much most of the time <sighs> but anyway uh today as we said we're going to anticipate and or preview and or prevaricate the royal rumble it's it's that time of year folks not when the fat man comes down a chimney but when 30 fucking oiled up guys jump in the ring at the same time well, I want to bring this up, man. I know, and Brian, this was news to you. We talked right before we started the program here, and I, you know, how I am with emails, everybody. So please, and Charlie, I'm sorry, but I just saw an email from back at Christmas time from Charlie from Starkville, Mississippi. I've been going through some more emails, and that's and they're on the new email configuration I've got. I can't even find the shit from people that are trying to give me money much less so give me a break but anyway i just saw this email charlie from starkville who is a longtime uh questioner contributor to the drive-through and he's become one of the family here that we talk about his mother vicky has been sick she's battling cancer now and she's an animal lover and a cat rescuer she even wrote a book uh here not long ago about uh, some of the neighborhood or area cats that she had rescued. And so it's just a sweet, wonderful woman. So uh, Charlie said that if if all the people would send her, the people would send her some positive thoughts, that would mean a lot to her. And uh, obviously we're not going to give you her phone number or whatever. Send the positive thoughts on social media. He'll see it. He follows our shit. Just say uh, her name is Vicky. So get well, Vicky. And uh, Charlie, if you hear this, play it for her and tell her we love her too, okay? Yeah, very sorry to hear this news, Charlie. Hope everything works out okay. And um, and while we're on the, the uh, let's follow up with uh, the, the drive-through that we just did a couple days ago, obviously, and I'm not, I'm going to try not to get too much 
detail or I'll get past it again. But um, uh, Jay Briscoe, uh, obviously, we talked about him and, and the situation uh, on the drive through So, folks, if you want to hear that, seek that out. Uh, it, it's the most recent one we did. But just as a follow-up. We did not know at the time when we did that, we heard just a couple hours later that there is a fundraising effort uh, that's still open for Jay's wife and, and children, and Brian's going to give you that information. It's not a GoFundMe. It's a different type of same thing, but we're going to give you the specific information in a second. But already, and this has been like 48 hours since we heard about it, They've raised somewhere around two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and it's just the the outpouring of, you know, affection and 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 also from the young bucks. I'll recognize it. Matt and Nick Jackson, ten grand apiece, and Jericho fifteen. Kevin Steen gave ten. Um, I'm now I'm starting to make a list. I've left people out, but the people that I normally criticize in this instance, I will applaud and recognize. Uh, but people have been given $5. I mean, anybody that can give anything. And I saw some people on social media say, well, wasn't he a millionaire wrestler or whatever? Because they have the barest, glimmerest idea of how this business works or operates. And I assure you, the Briscoes, they weren't paupers, and they've done very well for themselves on the independent level with Ring of Honor, et cetera, but they weren't millionaires. And as everybody mentioned, they had a family business also which I don't, I don't know if you get to be multimillionaires in the chicken farm industry, but it's, at the same point, uh, we mentioned on the drive-through in the past, they had turned down some opportunities that I remember to go somewhere that would take them away for extended periods of time from home because they didn't want to leave their family. Um, so anyway, this is not about, uh, and, I've, and I've cast aspersions at some people's GoFundMes in the past of that, uh, either did something that they should have known better or whatever and got themselves in a pickle. This is obviously nowhere near any kind of that situation. Um, because now this is about, I think everybody in the business that knew Jay and or fans that were fans of Jay or anybody that ever met Jay and he's getting a ton of support. It's still big news, you know, in, in that part of Delaware and he's gotten a ton of support from that community there. So people outside the wrestling bubble are contributing in large numbers also, but it's for his kids, his wife and kids now to try to, to do at least one of the things that Jay would have been able to do for them if he was still here. And that's take care of them with some degree of stability when the, the kids, the good news is, um, that they are doing better in their various issues in the hospital. Again, I'm not going to give people's medical reports. PWinsider.com has shared uh, what the Jay's wife shared on Facebook about the kids and their surgeries, uh, but they're doing better, but it's going to be, I mean, this is rehabilitative. We're talking broken backs and spinal issue that they had, and it's there's going to be physical therapy and rehabilitation. Their whole the pattern of life is going to be disrupted in a variety of ways. And this could be travel from home. They don't exactly live next to 
the Mayo Clinic, uh, special medical personnel that may have to come to their house. Um, this is the United States of America. People go bankrupt over medical care or die because they can't afford it every day. So what, I don't even know what his insurance situation was, but even accounting if he was able to get his own insurance and for his family and et cetera and pay for it, uh, we're still talking, they don't cover your gas to drive your kids, you know, a hundred miles or whatever. You, Brian, you hear these stories all the time of people who have to take their kids to special medical deals and can't. Um, so anyway, uh, the people that loved Jay are trying to help take care of his, his wife and kids in his honor. And Brian, you've got the link to that, don't you? That you can read out so people might can understand it. I have it here. And like you said, it's not GoFundMe, but it's a similar type platform. So a similar concept here. And the website is givesendgo.com. And the actual direct link is givesendgo.com slash pewlove, pew being P-U-G-H. Givesendgo.com slash pewlove. And Jim, to add on to what you said, it has actually been really beautiful to see not just the wrestling community come together, but also just how strong the local community down there is and everything they've been doing for the family of Jay Briscoe and the Pew family and... Hopefully, uh, this little bit that everyone's doing can go a long way, and hopefully everyone can keep doing more. Well, and I will bring up somebody that didn't do anything. Uh, again, one one time real quick, because I want to segue into something else. I plugged PWInsider.com and our friends Mike Johnson and Dave Shearer over there, who uh, we will always mention they don't print rumors. They, they didn't jump on the Saudi bandwagon last week or whenever it was. Uh, but as well, when they give opinions, they're usually fairly level-headed and well thought out. Uh, not like, uh, not like me who just, you know, fucking blows up. But remember on the drive-through, I said, I'd like to know the unnamed Warner Media TBS conglomerate executive that didn't even want them to do a tribute to Jay Briscoe on their television show after they had blocked him from being on the show or whatever because of Jay's tweets. And we illustrated some of the double standards that take place on that network. And I said, I'd like to know this motherfucker, whether man, woman, or child, whatever entity they are, I'd like to know this fucking guy's guy's name. I'd like to know this fucking person's name because I would be happy to make them a pet project for the rest of my life. And, well, I don't want to make any threats, but amplify and publicize as best I could their decisions. Let's say that. And I'll have you know I've gotten a dozen emails fingering the culprit. Brian, you know what the only problem is? What's that? They're all different goddamn names. It's nobody has firsthand knowledge, as Dennis Condry would say, to, to hear the, the words coming out of the mouth. It's as they've looked up on the internet. Well, this guy's in charge, or this woman's in charge of this and that. They've got 26,000 people in charge of that fiasco they've got there's no ted turner anymore there's 18 million people in charge but i will as i said if if anybody can provide some type of documented 
name calling around here, I'd be more than happy to tell everybody in the world who that piece of shit is. But since we don't have that, I wanted to I wanted to acknowledge another opinion because I I didn't want to be like uh you know just giving only my opinion here on the program. Mike Johnson just asked answered a question to his Q and A column. How do you feel about the reports? WBD, which I get Warner Brothers Discovery, right? Didn't allow AEW to have a larger segment honoring Jay Briscoe. And uh, part of Mike's answer, uh, before I go further, I want to say that what is important is that any energy and good hopes are sent to Jay's daughters and the rest of his family. That said, whoever at WBD that decreed the promotion couldn't do something classy for someone that was so important to so many people who perform on their network every week should be ashamed of themselves. They have zero issue with celebrating the Harry Potter property when J.K. Rowling has certainly stated some evil things on her social media. I will pause from Mike's column. I'm not a Potterite, Brian. I'm cognizant of Harry and his little friends, and that they live at Hogwarts. I've seen one one of those movies. but uh, And J.K. Rowling, I'm aware, is the author of Same Properties. What the fuck has she said? How bad is she on social media? To be honest, I'm not exactly sure. It's not something we don't, I pay you too don't much cover attention the, to. You don't cover the Potter beat either? I want to say maybe... I shouldn't say anything. I, I'll find well, out right now. Well, don't say anything. Well, okay, yeah. but everybody, for the for sake of it out there, look up whatever the fuck this old crone has said on social media that has appalled Mike Johnson, the most easygoing guy in the world. Okay, next, I'll continue with Mike's answer. They didn't want the Briscoes on their TV network. Okay, fine. But to prevent in any way, shape, or form Jay Briscoe's friends from paying tribute to him is pretty damn disgusting and hypocritical, especially when the show that followed AEW was Dana White, who was just caught on camera slapping his wife, talking about slapping the shit out of people on his slap fight show, not to mention that the company has never come out against the Flash star Ezra Miller. For all of the issues he's had publicly over the last year, including being caught on video physically going after a young woman outside a bar and recently coming to a criminal plea deal over a burglary. Oh, now, wait, okay, I've, again, when I, when I turn on the Google machine, when I get on the computer in the morning and all the Yahoo pops up, I've seen this fucking Ezra Miller fucking character. And it's generally in, in conjunction with some horrible headline where he's accused of some ridiculous crime, and I am cognizant that he's a celebrity and he was in the movie The Flash, which I haven't seen. But what the fuck is... They are associated with him. He's in their empire, the Warner Brothers Discovery people, this fucking clown? I guess so, and like you, my only awareness of this guy is seeing his name in the New York Post almost every day for a while. Ezra Miller arrested in Hawaii. Ezra Miller arrested here. Like that's all I know him for. Or he's, you know, I didn't realize he was I a mean, star it's of the either, TBS it's universe. A, he's a big supposed movie star, but at the same time, he's fucking doing weird things with normal people in fucking strange places. I don't know what the fuck. Anyway, Mike continues. I understand that some of these issues were things Discovery inherited when they took over Warner Brothers, but it's not like they've come down hard or at all on those issues. 
But Jay Briscoe's tweets from a decade ago, when he had apologized, educated himself, donated money, privately took sensitivity classes, and went out of his way all the time to show his support for the LBGTQ plus community members who performed in professional wrestling, continued to be an issue even after he tragically died. All of that tells me if it was anyone but a professional wrestler, it wouldn't have been an issue. And it makes me wonder whether they will now block Mark Briscoe, who never ever did anything questionable, from appearing on AEW program if and when he decides to return to pro wrestling. The entire thing is stupid and sad and infuriating to me. And if WBD sounds like a venereal disease, wants to make it right, that was my comment, by the way, not Mike's, wants to make it right, they can and should go donate to the fundraising for the Briscoe family. In fact, I challenge them to follow Jay Briscoe's lead and do the right thing, which is what Jay did when he messed up. And WBD certainly messed up by offending a lot of people who cared about Jay and were hurting in the wake of his passing. But that's what Mike had to uh, say about the, and uh, <laughs> And by the way, I haven't got the opportunity yet. I haven't had the pleasure. I've got it on DVR, and sometime in the next couple of days when I've got a full stomach and uh, I don't want to watch it on an empty stomach. God, I don't want to watch it after I ate. Sometime when I'm in the middle of meals and can sit down, I'm going to watch old Dana White's slap fight. What was the, what was the title of Tyson Smith's starring role? Sissy Boy slap fight? This doesn't look too sissy, but they're slapping, slap fighting. I'm going to watch that thing. How long do you think that's going to stay on the air? The rating was abysmal. Um, well, until the first lawsuit, which would be about three weeks. Uh, but anyway, let's, but while you know, we're can, on can this, can I just uh, say, cause I, I, I jump said, in, jump in and I'm going to, I said how much it bothered me and it's bothered me more and more about this unnamed, at least one we've been led to believe Turner executive who prevented Jay Briscoe from ever being a part of ring of honor TV. Didn't accept any of the things that he had done to show that he was a changed person wouldn't even allow, like Mike Johnson just said it perfectly. They wouldn't allow anything about him on the TV now. That's hideous. You said it the other day, and I listened back the other day when uh, I was going through the show. You know, whatever you want to say about Mike Tyson, Mike Tyson's been on their show. You have all these various people of ill repute that have either been on AEW, and this isn't against AEW, or just all across TBS, go watch on TBS. Go watch any show on TBS. You could probably point to someone that's some sort of derelict. Well, that, that's the point that I made the other day. If they had any sh other shows I watched, I could probably do a goddamn dossier on half of them. I don't know if the name will ever come out, but it really should. It really should, because someone should be accountable for this brand of shunning someone for no good reason. Unless it's like, he went to school with Jay Briscoe and Jay was his personal bully. It makes no <laughs> sense. And it's really, really, really awful. It's really awful. I think everyone universally agrees with that. Well, as a matter of fact, our old friend Rhonda Shane, because uh, he did some re research on his own about this. Um, well, it's not this, but it's a related issue about the, the standards. Because, again, I spent a lot of time on the Turner Broadcasting Networks, back when 
lots of people used to watch the shows on the Turner Broadcasting Networks. Back when there was a Turner as a part of Turner Broadcasting. Back when there was a Turner on the part. And and, and I, I've seen memos from the Turner Network executives, printed one or two of them in the Midnight Express scrapbook. I've seen tons more, probably have a few more in the files I've yet to dig up. About the standards and practices of things in their company and on their network and et cetera, as applied to the wrestling program. Remember when they sent a memo because we put a plastic bag over Ric Flair's head in a finish of a wrestling match? That led to the memo about we want no gratuitous violence on a show about gratuitous violence. If we had, if in any way the word shit, in, at least in the 80s, had emanated over their network on one of our live television programs, they would have been out of their minds. And remember the fucking heat when Bobby Heenan accidentally, legitimately, I talked to Bobby about it. He freaked out when Pillman went behind him on Nitro that night, live TV, and grabbed him. He was hiding behind him, but Bobby's bad neck, he freaked out because he didn't know it was coming, said, what the fuck are you doing? And he instantly thought he was fired. At that point. But anyway, they used to have some standards. They had faces then, Brian, back in the old MGM days. No, they used to have some standards. Rhonda Shane, I mentioned him a minute ago. He wrote, and he kind of looked at this from a different aspect. He says, gentlemen, I hope you all enjoyed the women's hardcore bloodbath on Friday night on national television. Remember, they had the... Hardcore match last week on the show Nobody Watches, thankfully, which including us. But they got plenty of talk about it afterwards because Willow of uh, uh, Florence Nightingale or Willow Nightingale, or she powerbombed poor Anna Jay off the entrance ramp over the... Well, Willow went comfortably ass first through the table and Anna Jay overshot the table and went back first to the fucking floor in a powerbomb off the ramp. There was apparently also a botched pile driver of some description, and Ruby Soho bled like you'd balled her up and run her through a razor blade factory and was just soaked in it. So, uh, basically, that's what Rhonda is referring to. And he goes on to say, I'll let Jim address the folly of the actual wrestling content and the two attempted assisted suicides that took place within moments of each other. Well, I just did that. He says, but I have a different concern. As I watched the blood-bathing beauties on Rampage, I asked myself a question. Who is this for? Who on earth would want to watch these women slice themselves up and bleed all over the place? Is this wrestling or pornography? That's when I decided to fire up my trusty ExpressVPN and Google something that I probably shouldn't. I went to Pornhub the world's largest purveyor of pornography, where all manner of fetishes and kinks are catered to, and simply typed in, women bleeding. Do you know what popped up in the search results? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Why? Because Pornhub has made a decision that they will not cater to the type of people that get off on watching women bleed and block any searches for blood and obviously any acts of violence where women are being slashed with barbed wire, tossed onto thumbtacks, or thrown through tables. 
the world's largest smut peddler, wants nothing to do with these people. Yet AEW and by extension TNT, TBS eagerly and openly cater to an audience that even Pornhub wouldn't touch with a 40-foot Peter North pole. It's been said that the difference between art and pornography is difficult to describe, but is blatantly obvious when you see it. I know what I saw. Best regards, Rhonda Shane. Boy, that's a way to look at it, isn't it? <clears throat> what are they fucking doing over there? Well, you know my thought, and it's not just about the bloody women's match. I think women's wrestling, by and large, exists because people in the business may want to support it, and people have been led to believe this is the way it's supposed to be, but I don't think there's a public demand for it. And we've seen, you could talk to people in the arenas, you can look at the ratings. What match are people going to go to the bathroom during? What match are people going to get up and go to the kitchen during? What match are people going to turn off their TVs and not come back during? And there's a reason it's the same segment. Women's wrestling, I'm not saying I have a problem with it in general. I have a problem with it being mixed in the middle of men's shows for no reason, because no one's demanding it. The demand is the issue. The industry is forcing something on a fan base that isn't demanding it. There should be a well-run, well-booked, functional women's promotion for top-line women athletes. But it shouldn't just be, okay, it's the women's portion of the show right now. Imagine if it was anyone else. All right, let's turn over to the show to the midgets right now. We're going to have the <laughs> weekly midget segment of the show. <laughs> you realize how wrong it is. And I think women's wrestling. Well, they, they, hey, they, they wouldn't be able to do it because Little Brook's gone. He was the last good midget booker. But that's the point. There's a difference between there being a demand and just putting something out there because you either think you're supposed to or because people who work there want it to be there. But the public demand isn't there. And you can't tell me that any of these wrestling companies wouldn't be better served using that time. And I know Raw's a long time, so let's not even get into that argument. But using the time they use for a lot of those women's segments on developing their stars, on talent development, on more backstage packages that aren't completely phony. Just all of these different things. But instead, each show has the arbitrary amount of time for the women's segments. It usually is the amount of time that it takes to drive people away from the show. Again, have WWE has a lot of money, and they're about to sell WWE Women, a brand new show, a brand new concept. AEW already copyrighted all elite women. Do that, and do it well, and have the best women's promotion in the world. But when you just throw this stuff in the middle of shows, you're ignoring reality. And to the specific topic of the bloody match, nobody wants to see that. The smallest of the micro-niche of the micro-niche audience want to see women bleeding all over the place. So there was Let no me ask you that. this. Well, and, and I'm going to tell you in a second where I agree with you and where I disagree with you about everything you just said. But let me ask you this. Would it be more palatable or would it be any different or would it be worse if when they have the bloody women's match now, if instead of the 2023 audience looking at it and obviously pretty much instantly knowing that the, how the women are bleeding is that they did it to themselves purposefully, or would it be better if they were still looking at it with the 1973 
eyes saying, oh my God, that woman just got busted open and didn't, uh, weren't aware that it was purposeful, thought it was a byproduct of, of what was going on. Is it any different? Is it better? Is it worse? That's a weird question. It's a hard question to uh-huh, answer. See? You know, the other thing is, what you know, the, the bigger question is, despite the way everyone's been used, do you think the majority of wrestling fans still think of wrestling, the women's wrestling today, the way they did in 1973? Well, no, I'm not even, I'm just, uh, I'm talking about the, the, the eyes of 1973, whether it's men or women. Is it more, di- especially women, because that's the topic, but is it more distasteful now that we know that how they're doing it and that they're doing it on purpose to themselves, or was it, would it be more distasteful if it, it was back in the days of wrestling when people thought it was a, a real injury that had been suffered? Because that was my thing is that I think it's more distasteful. Remember when, God damn, what was his name? It worked as Ricky Banderas in Puerto Rico, Judas Messias in TNA impact long ago mid 2000s debuted to fight with abyss by coming up through the ring and fucking uh, attacked him and fucking had broken glass and was slicing his arm right and this is on fucking spike and i know spike was supposed to be the men's network and all that stuff but seriously i looked at it and the the people in the impact zone weren't necessarily fucking, you know, over the moon about this whole thing. They're sitting there like, "Eh." but there's a guy that's actually, they're portraying that a guy is using broken glass to cut this guy's arm. But in actuality, this guy is using a razor blade to cut his own arm. But whichever viewpoint you come at it with, you can plainly see on their television that the guy's arm is really cut and bleeding. And I thought, how the fuck are they not just going to take us off television for this? And they didn't. But it's not for, it's not implausible to think that it might happen. As we've mentioned in other places and other times when people have gotten taken off television, sometimes for goofier reasons. But here's what, back to what I agree and disagree with you about. Everything you said except the girls should not be in their own well-funded, well-booked promotion because it it probably wouldn't last fucking six months for the same reason as why we're having this conversation. They need to concentrate again on making the top female athletes that they can find an attraction as part of the regular program, but not half of it. And they don't need a division of 30 women and probably a tag team and all that stuff. They need the Charlottes and the Beckys and the Biancas and the handful of top, and the Rhea Ripleys, the handful of top girls that they have found and that they cultivate and that they keep over. And between two shows a week on national television and five hours of content time, there's room for four to six girls to be pushed within rotating uh, cast of uh, job girls and or adversaries. And, you know, that that is a, is a boon to the program, and they do sell tickets and they do draw money. But when you get down past the 
upper echelon, that's what's making the upper echelon less special when you've got the the awkwards and the Barbies and the you know rest of the the rest of the rest out there for an equal amount of time on television. It dilutes the whole thing, especially when a lot of them. And again, there's a difference between, like you said, a Bianca, a Rhea, a Bailey, Becky. I would say Sasha. Banks, Actually, they have, they have de- they've diminished a lot of interest in Bailey now, presenting her like a moop faced putz here lately. And with the two stooges with her that couldn't whip cream with an outboard motor. I mean, they're goddamn minuscule. Well, my point was well, she's uh, top uh, tier. But yeah, she she could she could be. She's top tier. So you have right there a series of women. It just so happens they're all WWE and they've all come through that system. But you have a bunch of women who are really as good as it gets that we've seen so far. But then you also have a lot of women, and predominantly the ones who get on TV, the ones from AEW. But even NXT, you see it, and sometimes with some of the women who aren't at that top level in WWE, where they're just they're doing choreographed routines. Yes. They're doing synchronized spots that they've been practicing over and over again with the same person. That's where it's like, why is this on TV? Because bad women wrestlers get on TV more than bad men's wrestlers. Bad, there are men who could never I, get on I like t- the, I like the, I like the way you stuttered that. Well, because I'm trying to figure out the best way to say it. <laughs> there aren't men typically being put on TV in good spots that are as bad as some of the women we've seen get a match that goes past the commercial break in AEW. They're not at the level that belongs there, but they're still there because it's the arbitrary women's segment that we need to get people into the segment. Well, and, and also I think in, in, in the women's defense or in Tony Khan's defense or whatever, a lot of times it's just that I don't think Tony has figured out yet how to evaluate who needs what amount of time to go and where they're at in their career that they can if AEW, wear on the people's uh, you know, patience. If AEW had launched... Without a women's division, would it have made any difference whatsoever to the bottom line? And we don't have their books. How? We don't have their books. But, 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 but what would look at from what's been done? Take every women's match out of the equation, and would you still have enjoyed the shows, bots, pay per views, or whatever? And maybe with the exception of, and and we are not as. Uh, big aficionados as some people, but with the exception of a few of Britt Baker's early contests uh, that I remember people enjoying, I don't know that, would you really be able to, I mean, we can talk about Brandy's interview with, uh, you know, uh, with uh, Jane's debut. We can talk about. Then it went nowhere. Yeah, but we can talk about a few of the moments because they went nowhere or they were bad when they happened. But can you really think of anything that, would have made a difference in the bottom line of the business if they'd have done everything else they did, but just not had the girls division. And you can't, you can't say that with the WWE because they've made money off a lot of those girls. Yeah. They've baked it in a lot better. And they also have better talent. And of course they have a development system and develop their own women's talent better than they have any of the men's talent that they have developed. But you know, like I said, it feels like it's an arbitrary division where everyone gets a turn and everyone does something i don't think there is much a demand and my thought before you look at AEW, look at the first whatever it is now three and a half years if you had taken all the multi-segment women's matches off that show 
and you had done something else to work on the top talent, more packages on different stars, more matches, more squash matches, more promos that don't just have someone getting beat up, just promos to get someone over. I think that would have helped things a lot more than WWE as a women's division, Ring of Honor's doing some women's stuff. A lot of the fans online like it, so we're going to do it too, even though we don't have the top people to do it, and there's no tangible evidence that shows that there's much demand for another women's division. And then the the difference in the presentation, I had a thought when you said it, and have, have people have promos to get over instead of to go out there so somebody can beat them up. Yes, every promo. It's Well, ex- exactly, and it's got the... T- the, I'm thinking, and we'll talk about this more, we talk about SmackDown and leading up to the Rumble and everything later in the program, but they each have their own patterns now, where AEW, the whole idea of somebody coming out there for a promo is so somebody can almost instantly interrupt them and beat them up, whereas in the WWE, almost nobody comes out to beat somebody up unless that person calls for them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like their own little personal habits. <laughs> On WWE television, the person that's about to get beat up actually comes out and then calls for that person to come out. And then they are, they, well, they don't argue. They exchange catty remarks and try to hurt each other's feelings. And then somebody beats that. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Oh, um, well, you know, I've been saying it for a while. There's a come to Jesus talk a lot of people in wrestling need to have. And when I say a lot of people in wrestling, as you pointed out correctly, WWE is in a different position and they also have better women stars than anyone else. But what's the point of the AEW women's division? Like, even when someone points to Soraya, got a major pop when she came back. Actually, not a lot, not a lot of people pointing at Soraya anymore, are they? Either them, some people said, who's that? Well, she's an example, though. She comes in, she gets a major pop. People go crazy because this personality from WWE TV is now on this TV. Some cringy promos, people still popped. Here we are a few months later. Do the people care at all anymore? Do she just switched heel. Even if she didn't, though. <laughs> if she had stayed babyface. That's what I'm saying. She's gonna get, everyone's going to get a big pop that first night, and then she's just another woman bopping to the ring with everyone else. And that's, uh, 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 and I'll, I'll try not to spoil any of the program, but I did not, we're going to have a little AEW recap here in a little while. I did not have the, the courage, which I'll explain later to watch the program this week, but Soraya is now officially a full-fledged heel. And that's why I asked, the, I'll ask the question here and I'll ask it again then. Did they, did they intentionally have this planned from the start? With some kind of brilliant uh, battle plan to debut this wildly popular individual that's been out of wrestling for five years who gets a fucking blow-off-the-roof response and in 12 weeks make her a hated villain? What the... (laughs) If it wasn't their intention, they should go back and watch those early promos because we said it. How is she the babyface here? Britt Baker's the (laughs) babyface. What else you think about them fighting females, Brian? You know, again, I want to say I support women's wrestling. I just don't want it jammed into the middle of the men's show for no reason. There's not a demand for that. So that's my point. Well, I got to bring up one thing before we go any further an update. Somebody we left out. We also talked on the drive through about teenage prodigies in wrestling. We were talking about. 
who was the best 18 year old wrestler in the in, ever in the business. We mentioned Terry Gordy and that led to a, a few names being discussed, but, and of course, part of this was obviously for us is embarrassing that we overlooked these two names, but then nobody can really go back and see because there's no video existing, but Ray Stevens and Bobby Shane, as far as teenage prodigies that were, great performers at an early age and used in prominent positions. Bobby Shane was the boy wonder. Ray Stevens was on top in Ohio when he, before he was 18. I, I thought of Ray Stevens after the fact, and a few people got in touch. I did not think of Bobby Shane, of course, the father of Rhonda Shane. I did not think of Bobby Shane <laughs> before. That's a pretty good one. What about Dick Steinborn? Um, well, I think, I don't know if, I, there's no way to tell because there again, there's no video. I saw Dick Steinborn, you know, in his adult years working and he was very good. But I think that Dick Steinborn at 18 was just used because he was Milo Steinborn's son, the, you know, exciting young amateur wrestling fellow. I don't know if he was, you know, traveling from territory to territory getting used on top. What about well, Bob, yeah, I don't, Bobby I don't Davis. want to sully the, uh, well, but, but the, well, but that doesn't really count in what we were talking about, but Bobby Davis was a prodigy as a manager back when there was actually no, hardly any managers to steal from to begin with. So he had to invent it as he went, but that's different than being who's the best 18 year old wrestler. Do you think from your experience, everyone you've seen, everything you've been around, but applying it to the modern era today, do you think it's possible for a wrestler to hit 20 and mentally be developed enough to be that you wouldn't think they're 20 i mean do you think it's possible for someone to really be a young age today and be just a super prodigy and super developed in all these things um i didn't meet mjf until he was 22 or whatever but i assume he thought mostly the same way when he was 19 or eight whatever um Thinking of somebody past him that it might have been possible. Uh, nobody, it's not even the guy's fault, the young aspiring wrestler's fault anymore that they don't get it early because most people don't, because most people don't get it at all anymore, wrestling. And just the, the reason behind wrestling. And MJF was a prodigy in that he not only studied this and looked at things on YouTube or read or whatever he did and, and went to wrestling school at a young age, but also that he absorbed this and kind of, he's sharp enough with this stuff to have almost figured out how to connect the dots between what people told him and, and figure out the rest. But most of the time you got that from not only working in the territory seven nights a week in the ring with somebody that was already a veteran in the business if you were being used in a spot, but also being in the locker room with them and a bunch of different ones in the locker room. You'd be in the locker room with, you know, 10 or 20 guys, depending on whether they were separate locker rooms or not. You'd only be in the ring with one or two a night, but you'd be in the locker room and in the cars on, you know, hundreds of mile trips every fucking day with you driving and the fucking veteran in the back telling you what the fuck to do or what not to do or what a dumb fuck you were. That doesn't exist anymore. I think that's why it takes so much longer for, if they ever do for people to figure out the bit. And, and by the time that they 
go to wrestling school. They believe they know what the fuck because they've read, you know, fucking nedswrestlingnews.com where he tells them all the secrets of wrestling and how everything works and, and what everybody thinks. So it's, it's, it's harder because of that, because there's no, that the former method of learning how to think about wrestling, not just how to do, there's more places than ever in the history of wrestling to learn how to do wrestling moves and fewer places than ever to learn how to actually think about what wrestling is and how to do it. When you think of some of the teenagers you had in OVW, a Ken Doan, Randy Orton, Rene Dupree. Did you see something in them early on that my Mondo was 19 when he came to the first tryout camp, he'd already been training for about a year up in New York. Was it that you saw potential that could be developed or you thought, wow, they've got it already. You just got to fine tune it. And it didn't happen. like what, when you look at teenage prodigies or at least teenagers in wrestling that you looked at and think, wow, what they could be, where did it go wrong with some of the guys you think? <laughs> well, it, 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 the the first question you almost asked, no, nobody had everything. Uh, John Cena had the look and the intellect and the promo and the he understood uh, wrestling because his father was a, a fan, so he'd grown up. But he still his work was not, you know, it was good for that period, but it wasn't developed yet. Everybody had didn't nobody had everything. Everybody always had some place or some aspect they needed to uh, develop and a lot of times with with some of the guys you could see that they got the physical part more quickly than the mental part where and i'm not talking about you know that they're stupid or anything the mental part of wrestling is understanding what wrestling is at its root and its conflict and it's making things make sense and there are plenty of stupid people that actually get that yes but at the same time, you know, you had guys who were natural. Again, I've said MJF is a, is a natural. Randy Orton was a natural at selling, or not a natural, rather, at selling to begin with. Uh, he just kind of slumped over and, you know, did it. But then later on it came. But also he didn't have that flamboyant personality at first. He was, you know... He would act up more out of the ring than in the ring, unfortunately. He was kind of... Because he was still 19. But so sometimes these things are uh, the the personality blooms late or whatever. But you would see when you did tryout camps or when you had a guy around for a, a period of time or you did a camp and then he came back again the next year, the people that were applying themselves to how to think about it rather than just do more moves or just whatever that were applying how to think and how to get over and how to make their matches make sense or call attention to themselves because of their personality or change their look in some kind of way for the better or whatever. That's, you know, that's something that you, you look for in terms of whether a guy's going to get better or not, but you have to be able to identify the potential to begin with. Is this my show? Is there any potential in this show here today? That's the big question. All right. Well, Wolf, I'll tell you what there is potential in. There is a potential for one of you folks out there, the people, the cult of Cornet within the sound of my voice, to have a personalized video message from me very shortly. Because the St. Valentine's Day massacameos 
are coming up quickly. It's next Saturday, January 28th at noon Eastern time. We're going to put up uh, uh, the Cameo video personalized messages. You can either go to Cameo.com slash Jim Cornette or just go to JimCornette.com and click on the Cameo button. It takes you directly to the page. And we're going to, as we've mentioned, Hotchkiss Featherbottom, my ace videographer, uh, has two days that week that we have devoted shooting these, so there is going to be a maximum of 80 on sale on Saturday, January 28th at noon Eastern. They usually We haven't done them in a year, so I don't know. People may have forgotten about me by now, but they usually go pretty quick, so I want to encourage everybody, if you want one, to act fast and just let me know what you want to do. I can either... Send somebody a nice Valentine's Day heart and flowers, or I can stick Cupid's arrow up their ass. Really roast me. That's my favorite one. You got. well, you got to give me something to work with, folks. Though again, as I've really roast me, really roast him, or really roast me. There, there's you don't need to write a book. We're not talking about a soliloquy here, but just some information on either the kind, gentle, loving better half or spouse or paramour or significant other that you would like to kiss for Valentine's Day or the obnoxious, cretinous, humanoid piece of shit that you would like me to blister, whichever one, I'll do either. And I, as I mentioned on the drive through I'll say anything that's not illegal, although in, in some cases we may be able to thinly veil some of these threats of violence and or criminal conduct where that I couldn't be charged with anything we'll just have to see how that goes but anyway that's going to happen and while you're at jimcornette.com check out the brand new lazy booking t-shirts the jim cornette face shirts that have been restocked the final copies or not copies but the final examples of the raw debut variant jim cornette action figure and all all more kinds of stuff like that all personally autographed by myself, me, myself, and I, all three of us, and handled one hand each by Fanny and Felcher Featherbottom directly to you, the customers at Cornette's Collectibles. That's at jimcornette.com. Brian, you know, I don't want to let anybody down. I never want to disappoint anybody. I don't want people coming, the people, the cult of Cornette, coming to the show with lowered expectations about what they're going to hear. I always want them to be jazzed up, ready for the program, all the different segments we do. Normally, we talk about AEW's programs on Wednesday nights. When we get to stay up late, you know the rest. I don't want to disappoint anybody. I didn't watch that program this week. I'll give a short recap based on what happened online, just for continuity's sake. But I... It got to the point with, with the week's events. I didn't want to see wrestling for a couple of days. And then last night, I was going to prep for this program, and I was going to do my duty, just like Harley does, my duty, and watch the show. But I, I came to a fork in the road. I came to a crossroads, Brian. I will explain to you see which path you would have traveled. Now, was there was the choice. I could have sat down and watched two hours of Wednesday night's AEW, or I could spend some time in the kitchen with Stacy. That sounds like an old song. Someone's in the kitchen with Stacy. Anyway, I could spend some time in the kitchen with Stacy, fixing our dinner, 
And then we could have that dinner, and then we could sit on the couch and watch some family television time with little Harley Quinn laying there on the floor in front of us, showing her belly, which she just had her grooming and her bathing, and she smells like a pretty flower, and get some puppy kisses, and then and then curdle up in bed under our individual blankies, the three of us, and watch some more family TV until we nodded off to dreamland. Or, as I mentioned, I could have spent a couple hours watching AEW. Which one would you have done? What's family TV? What are you classifying as family TV? Well, we, we, nodded, we nodded off with the two-hour Frasier block on Cozy TV. I find Kelsey Grammer and his hijinks with his various family members on the program very entertaining. Do you like Cheers? I was okay with Cheers, but I'm 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 actually I like Frasier more than Cheers. What? Yes. Well, because Frasier because Frasier's on more of Frasier than he is a Cheers, and Frasier and Niles are and Daphne are men Roz. So your problem is the and rest of the bar. Martin, the, your problem is the rest of the people at the rest bar. Of the rest of the bar needed to fucking take the fuck off. See, I thought that was the perfect use of Frasier Crane. He's one of the secondary characters and he's brilliant in that role no but he's even funnier on his own program and we don't have to worry about kirstie alley kirstie alley and she just passed away so you don't have to worry about her and of course (laughs) shelly long was on before her order for quite some time till she got where she couldn't travel so your question is would i watch frazier or dynamite or what do I think you did? What was the question? No, would you? The question, well, the question was: would you, In the light of this week's events, would you not have had a nice family evening with your your family and dinner and TV and puppy belly rubs instead of goddamn watching wrestling? For the reasons of everything that happened this week, and also if there was, was an episode for you to miss, this was probably it. Well, that's why I'm telling you. I could understand. Because here is what, ladies and gentlemen, just for continuity's sake, I don't want you to miss anything. Here's what the Turner Broadcasting Conglomeration thought was a better show to air than a any type of tribute to Jay Briscoe. He, he got a five-second silent graphic at the top of the program, I'm told. Jay Lethal, in the opening match, had to put Pockets the mascot over in a match for the fictitious A&P title. Again, just because he's the owner's little favorite pet project and people buy his T-shirts, he's beating the real talent and being allowed to carry around one of the 27 belts. All right. Yeah, the other funny thing is, I remember months ago, we heard from several people who wanted to make corrections about you saying that Orange Cassidy had defeated Jay Lethal as an example of bad booking of Jay Lethal. We heard from people who said, no, 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 actually, Jay Lethal defeated Orange Cassidy. We know you guys want to get it correct, get it correct. And they've returned the favor here. Oh, <laughs> the revenge was the opening match here. The revenge. And then in the continuing effort to rehabilitate their public image, the Buckaroos. Uh, the Cucamonga kids decided to put Darius and Dante Martin over. It was a good match for what it was. But again, do the people, do to people, are they even falling for this anymore? The fake put overs where you 
don't put over somebody that could legitimately be a main event attraction for the company right now. You put over somebody who you're going to have a good match with, and in two weeks, nobody's going to remember it because they kind of know what you did. Well, can you explain the difference? Because there have been examples in the past. You know, we've seen, you know, Raw 30 is coming up, and they just had a clip of the one, two, three kid defeating Razor Ramon. In the early days of Dynamite, a lot of people talked about the Young Bucks and Private Party. Here it is a few years later, the Young Bucks, the week after winning the six-man title back in tag team competition, <laughs> and they do this. There have been many other examples, again, away from the Young Bucks. There are plenty of WCW examples, actually. But what did the... Yeah, didn't, didn't Nash get beat by Mysterio or Kidman or somebody two feet smaller than him one time? It was either him or Hall, I forget. But that's the question. What's the difference between putting someone over and it actually elevating them and working for them and putting them over, but it doesn't hurt you and it doesn't really help them? Well, I, and I'm not going to talk about this match in specific terms because obviously right. I just said I didn't watch it. But in the previous match that they had with it was uh, goddamn private party, right? They basically had a match where, and I remember I said, were they this fucking stupid that they thought this was getting them over or did they do this with a, Mephistif <laughs> a Mephistophelian fucking evil intent? They foiled private parties signature move as i recall and then pretty much had him and then through being foiled at the in the nick of time slipped the guys over and then boom and it was never followed up on it but it was just to show that they would put other people over again the one two three kid uh, scott hall razor ramon match as we talked about they had already decided they were going to use waltman not in a main event spot, but in an ongoing spot as an underdog baby face. And people forget Ramon pretty, instead of having a match or a career making match, <laughs> he treated him mostly like he was another one of the job guys for predominantly most of the match. And then the shocking conclusion was that Waltman came off the top and won. And that's why it was a shock because it, it looked until that point, like he had no chance. But with I can say with the concept of this match with the Buckaroos and Top Flight, they've been injured uh, a couple times here recently, and and they started as a team with the company three years ago. Then was it one was injured, then the other was injured, and blah blah blah. They haven't been focused on on television, but neither have they been working regularly for three years improving um we've mentioned which way is it is it darius that has the really special leaping ability now that i'm not seeing him in front of me dante. i don't know which dante <sighs> they're not they're not ready to be in the main events and and certainly not with the way that they've been booked for the past three years where they've been in and out back and forth there's been no concerted effort to to move them up the ladder, this is this is not a shock of an unknown team like one two three kid was Sean Waltman coming in and scoring an upset victory. This is these guys been around for a while because you know yes, if you want to use them, that's not a bad idea. But there, the amount of people that could have benefited more and in, into a main event position 
right now by beating the Young Bucks. And this is what they decide because they have a good match with these guys and they get to do all their flying shit and they can put them over and say that they're being selfless and it's going to be part of a bigger story that the Martins aren't involved in where they are on a fucking losing streak or they've got conflicted or whatever the fuck and we're not going to hear about this anymore in a few weeks, if ever, again. That's that kind of put over. Hey, can you say, are the, are, are the Martins going to be the, the fighting the acclaimed, the most popular tag team in the goddamn world for the tag team title next week? If so, then why did they do a job for him right now? Or if not, rather, why did they do a job for him right now? This wasn't about getting the Martins over. This was about doing whatever the fuck they want to do. That, that, that was their motivation for this. Why, if you wanted, oh, we've got to get the Martins over, why wouldn't you give them a number of wins on TV against moderate teams each week and build to a match where the winners get the title match? And then have the Bucks, who everybody would think is going to win, put them over there, and oh shit, people will remember that. And then, but then they'd have to go fight a bunch of the most popular babyface tag team in wrestling for the title. So that booking wouldn't make sense either. So you see where I'm going with this? Where the fuck did this come from? Well, the Bucks wanted to put them over is where it came from. Uh... Where it goes will be interesting because in a lot of cases, AEW drops the ball the next week. So let's see what they do. Do they get a 30-second promo in the middle of a montage eclipse to talk about beating the Bucks, or is this a part of a story going forward they're going to actually pay some attention to? That's what I want to see. Is it a throwaway thing, or does anything happen this week coming up, especially this week and then next week? Well, and since you saw this, was Jake Hager, did he actually earn his check for once? Jake Hager, you're stealing from Mid-South Wrestling. Did well, he's Hager making a lot of money, so I don't think he's earning his check. He's earning a check, well, but I, I wouldn't say he's earning his check. Hager put Ricky Starks over. Was the After the match was over, was it good enough that Starks actually looked better for winning, or was it so rotten that it would have been better if he just never won in the first place? I wish Starks wasn't dragged into the Jericho stuff. And this stuff just hasn't been good. It's never been good. They got the stuff going on here with this, with Sammy and Daniel Garcia, which again is childlike. It belongs on WWE TV. Is Ricky Starks more over today than he was three weeks ago? No. Is Action Andretti more over today than he was a couple of weeks ago? Maybe. I don't know. They really <laughs> well, that's that's an example well, of where they dropped the ball. Would, it would be hard for Action Andretti not to be more over than he was three weeks ago because he couldn't got picked out of a fucking right. police lineup three weeks ago. But Starks got really hot leading into that MJF match. And since that point, he's doing this Jericho stuff, and I think he's less over every week than he was the week before. Did Hager look like a drunk on Soma's in the ring, or did was Starks able to get anything out of him? It was all right. It was all right. All right. Well, one match I'm sure was great. I don't know whether or not anybody in the United States past the audience that was already there would have known or cared, but Brian Danielson beat Bandito. And uh, again... <sighs> I mean, Danielson has to win every week and he wants to have good matches and et cetera. So this wasn't out of place 
in that respect, because if Danielson, you know, runs this gauntlet of opponents every week for the next however long, then he gets MJF at uh, the pay-per-view. So, and it's a, and Brian likes to have good matches. At least uh, this guy wasn't, you know, uh, portrayed ahead of time as the most raving baby-faced history of the world like uh, poor old Take was last week. But besides having a great match, do you think anybody past the regular AEW audience has any clue who Bandito is? Or Because when we see what the main event was, I'm saying there's no marquee match on this show. This is like a two-hour version of Rampage. Is there star power, name value? What the fuck's going on here? No. I don't know what the question was there. What the question is, was it a great match, but did you think anybody gave a shit past people that were already accidentally watching the program? It was a great day. I shouldn't say great. It was probably a great match in the general scheme of things. It was another good Danielson match. We're seeing him every week now. You know, another guy that has to run through the gauntlet to get to MJF. We've kind of seen this a few times now. It was all right, but to your earlier question, I don't think the general public, obviously, or the general wrestling fan has any idea who Bandito is. You have to be a Ring of Honor viewer to have any idea. A Ring of Honor viewer in the last couple of years to know who he is. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying so far on the program. we've And I, I hear, I don't want to spoil the ratings, I hear they were comparable with last week. I have a feeling it may have been because people expected something else besides what they got after the news about Jay Briscoe had been everywhere. But nevertheless, Jay Lethal versus Pockets. The Buckaroos versus Top Flight. Ricky Starks versus Jake Hager. Brian Danielson versus Bandito. Do you see a pattern here? Where's the star power? Where's a marquee match? Where is a main event? Hopefully we're building to one, but I'll disappoint everybody. And there was one more match. Tony Storm beat Willow Nightingale and Soraya. That's why I says apparently a full-fledged heel now. So again, that. Which you have to do. <laughs> but you had to do it at this point. But that debut direction is now awkward. And that's why I asked earlier in the program, it, could this possibly have been, and what would have been the motivation to do this on purpose? But could this have been a Machiavellian Machiavellian of uh, evil plot to bring this girl in that got to raves and was back from returning from a career ending neck injury, a sympathetic baby face with a worldwide following. And she was so popular for the first week. And three months later, she's a fucking heel by popular demand. Was it the rotten booking that accidentally made it? necessary for them to turn her full-fledged heel or or was this the idea that they had and they pulled it off to perfection <sighs> I, I, so that's been the program so far brian you want to know wh what the main event was oh yeah i forgot you had to watch it darby allen versus kushida was the main event on a national cable television program. And I said, does Kushida still wear the Back to the Future? Yes, he does. So he's, you had a five foot three man wrestling a five foot four man. One of them was dressed in 
dominatrix fishnets and booty shorts and the other one dressed like Michael J. Fox in the Back to the Future fucking series. In the main event, Darby won, by the way, for those so inclined to be interested. Again, there was no name, marquee value, star power, whatever the case. And am I led to believe, do you have the ratings there or am I just ambushing you now? I'm going to pull them up. I'll pull them up. Because I am led to believe from what I briefly saw that they were within three or 4,000 viewers of last week's program. And I'm thinking, okay, have, have we hit our bottom? Is this what the, the number of people that are going to put up with anything? Or did, I would have to think a large number of people thought that they might see something about Jay Briscoe on this program and were waiting until maybe at some point did it ever fall off a cliff. I don't know what to make of this, but this is the weakest on paper lineup that they have ever put on for a television program. And MJF was at a pre-tape. Yeah, I wish you would have seen that because I'm in the minority. I wasn't crazy about it. I thought it was a little too actory for mjf that's another reason i'm glad i didn't see it so do you have these numbers i have these numbers right here the aew ratings for january 18th the overall number was nine hundred and sixty-nine thousand viewers now i've got to remember all of the programs they have done that we have said well okay there was most of it was good some of it was good there was a big match, whatever, that did in the sevens and eights, and now for this, they do one of their better numbers? You can't tell me that didn't have something to do with the news about Jay Briscoe. Go ahead. Let me give the quarter hours. These are the work of Brandon Thurston of WrestleNomics. Segment one, 8 o'clock to 8.15, Orange Cassidy versus Jay Lethal. 1,197,000 viewers. Oh, Jesus Christ, and that's about... That's about 150,000 more than they started out with, or 100-something thousand more than they started out with last week to begin with, isn't it? But all that means is there was a big episode of the Big Bang Theory. I- well, yeah, but that, that's what I'm saying. They, they don't usually start with 1.2 million. Well, segment two, which was the Young Bucks versus Top Flight, 815 to 830, 975,000 viewers. Oh, Jesus Christ, and they don't normally lose 200 and... 22,000 in the first 15 minutes either. Segment three, the end of that match, as well as the Guns and the Acclaimed and Billy Gunn segment, and Adam Page's backstage promo, 993,000 viewers. So they're back up uh, 18,000, just for those keeping track. Segment four, 845 to 9 p.m., Jake Hager versus Ricky Starks, which actually started at the end of the previous segment, as well as the post-match angle, an Adam Cole video, Jericho Appreciator's backstage promo, and the first three minutes of Danielson versus Bandito, 971,000 viewers. And they just lost the (laughs) the 18,000 that they just got and another four on top of that. The second hour, 9 o'clock to 9.15, segment five. 975,000 viewers. So 4,000 people switching the channels at the top of the hour joined in. They're, so they, 
this is pretty basically 220 something thousand people said fuck this and then it's been 975 993 971 975 well segment 6 the finish of Danielson versus Bandito MJF's promo the backstage promo with Tony Storm Soraya and Sheeta as well as the MJF Brian Cage backstage angle and the beginning of the Tony Storm match 921,000 viewers. Ooh. So we're down 54 there. Segment 7, which is Storm versus Nightingale, as well as the post-match angle with Soraya and Ruby Soho, and Ethan Page and Stokely promo, and the beginning of Darby versus Kushida, 853,000 viewers. Jesus. All right, that's down another uh, 47, say 68,000. And finally, segment eight, 9.45 to 10 p.m., Darby Allen versus Kushida, 867,000 viewers. And uh, 14,000 people said, well, we'll come back and see what uh, Kushida's tennis shoes look like this week. So until the last two quarters, they were fairly stable, and I have to think, Again, what was there about this program that you really would want to stay tuned for? I've got to think that Jay Briscoe played a part. They started out with more people than they normally start with to begin with. They kept a few more of them. And then by the last 30 minutes, you know, everybody said, well, we see the matches coming up and they ain't going to do anything. And that's when they lost a little over 100,000. Uh, well, they lost 8, 20 minutes. And 20, it's the 30, women's 30. segment. Just say it's yeah. the women's well, segment. Well, okay, well, I forgot to make note of that, but also the women's segment. But the previous segment had anything to write home about because they lost 54,000 before the women lost the uh, 68,000. Has Darby been in the last segment since he won the TV title every week? Well, that's, no, no, because remember for a while there, they were putting, uh, they were trying to put the, uh, the, the elite on toward the end, and then they got smart and put them on the beginning. I don't think he's been in the main event that bad. Just, uh, well, since, since he, won he won the, the TV, TV title. TV. Yeah. Okay. The qualifier that you, I just glossed over. Uh, yeah, that ain't a good sign either, is it? But again, I mean, Darby Allen against the attendant at the parking lot. Darby Allen against an accountant that we found at Starbucks. Darby Allen versus Kushida. Which, which one is more attractive to viewers of national television? Now let's talk about who wasn't here. MJF, they had a few pre-tape promos. He was probably doing his movie or whatever. They had no Moxley, no Claudio. They didn't have, I mean, obviously there are guys that just, who knows what's going on. House of Black, they appeared for a couple weeks. Now they haven't appeared again. No House of Black. Who knows what Miro is? I mean, there are names. What that... happened? I heard that somebody made a monster out of Hobbs, and then we were going to find out what the repercussions are. Where's he been? Yeah, no Hobbs. It was a weird episode. And again, there was a lot going on, and it sounds like they didn't know. I, we don't know when AEW, when Tony knew that he couldn't do a Jay Briscoe tribute on the show. That may have thrown things into disarray. I don't know. It seems it just seems like there were people that uh, we could have seen that we didn't see. I I don't know. We'll, but anyway, nevertheless, you're gonna watch next week. Uh, I'll pick it up next week. I'll pick it up next week. Uh, anyway, 
But in the meantime, yes, that's what you need to do, Brian. You need, obviously, from the question I posed to you and your rebuttal or your response, you need to spend more family time. That's exactly what you need to do because you're obviously working yourself to an early grave. You're not, you're not spending quality time with your family, with your wife, with your children, with Swami, for heaven's sake. That's what you need to do. You need to lay down in bed and cozy up in front of the cozy TV with Frasier reruns on a Helix sleep mattress. That's exactly what you need, because then you're going to get a good night's sleep. And how many kids you got in that house now? Four and Swami. Okay, well, there you go. Well, they got the kids mattress. So here's what you do. You get your king size mattress for you and Suzanne. And then around it, like tables in a tables, ladders, and chairs match, you get the kids' mattresses, and you line them up all around that mattress, and you put Swami on the one in the middle at the foot of the bed, and everybody can watch TV on their own Helix Sleep mattress until they fall asleep into the blissful land of slumberation. And when you're slumberated, that's the best sleep you can get. And you know those kids' mattresses, they've got the, you know, the optional restraints where... No, they don't. Sure. No, they don't. There are no optional restraints. There are no restraints. Do not restrain your children. Well, you know, it keeps them from wandering the halls at night while you're asleep. They can get into all kinds of, of trouble. Close the door. Well, what if they pick the lock? The kid? Just, what if the kid yes, picks the lock? Yes, kids pick the lock. I'm just telling what I did when I was a kid. My mother found that lock pick. Boy, she tanned my hide. What? And I'll tell you what, as a matter of fact, that's when I had to start sleeping strapped up against the wall because I couldn't figure out how to get loose from that one as as easily as the web. But nevertheless... Well, you don't have to do that folks, nowadays, ladies and gentlemen, because there are wonderful mattresses like the ones from our friends at Helix Sleep. That's right. And these children's mattresses, they are American-made from the finest American children. Because everybody no, knows the children are even no, no, softer. No, 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 they're, no. They're softer and more malleable than, than us old people. When we get old with our brittle bones and our, our pointy elbows, you can curl up on a nice child mattress and you, you'll sleep like a baby. That's where that state, statement came from. Because many people in the old days used to sleep on beds made of babies. First that of all, was a that was a status symbol back in the medieval time. I don't know what you're talking about, but let's just make sure we're clear right now. There is no child labor involved with the manufacturing of Helix sleep mattresses. They no, are the finest American-made by hardworking adults yes. in America. Yes, the the adults make the mattresses out of the best American children. That no, they, they can stop find. that. No, they don't. They make them out of the fine things that you've put in mattresses that are comfortable. None of which. None of these mattresses contain human parts. Let's just put it out there. Well, all right, if that's what you say. What uh, what do they what are the fine things that they put in mattresses to make them comfortable? Oh, you right? know, I'm not Can one to give away the proprietary them? information. I don't want to give that away. That's uh, up to the fine people like Mr. Helix and his sleep friends. But let's talk about a wonderful night's sleep that you can get. That's right. Well, here's what you do, folks. If you want one, like we have all the time, as a matter of fact, as you can tell, sometimes we never wake up. Helix, the lineup, they've got 14 unique mattresses. They got luxury models. They got a mattress for big and tall sleepers. Even, once again, the children's mattress. It's made just four. Oh, I see four kids. I thought it said from just four from kids. kids. Four kids. Okay, the mattress is made just for kids by American 
workmen rather than just from kids. And and how will you know which one is best, folks? Well, you can take the Helix Sleep Quiz and find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. That's only if you can spell, though. If you're illiterate, it takes between three and five minutes. And once you do that, your personalized mattress is shipped straight to your door free of charge. Now, it won't have your initials on it unless it, unless you pay extra, but it's a chosen for you personally. And Helix knows that there's no better way to test out a new mattress than by sleeping on it in your own home. I've mentioned the problems that I've had in the past going into a mattress store, especially when I, I took a tray of burgers and fries. I wanted to see if I could, you know, if, how it felt when I was eating in front of the television. And then, you know, when, when Stace and I went in to test it that second time and we took the blanket and everything, they kicked <laughs> us out of the store. But anyway, they've got, what they've got here now is they've got this 100-night risk-free trial where for 100 nights you can try this mattress out. We encourage you not to get as much DNA as possible on it. Just think of the next sucker that they're going to pawn this thing off on. No, no, no. Think about how much you're going to enjoy the match. Get as much DNA on it as you want because you're going to keep it because you're going to love it. Or you could do that. But if you're going to give it back after 100 nights and be an asshole like that, then try to keep it clean here, fella. But anyway, you got that option. But you can see how your body adjusts. Sometimes when people lay on these mattresses for a while, their body just kind of sinks into the thing and, and becomes part of the mattress. And your, your, the cells in your skin literally grow into the fibers of the mattress. So it's so comfortable. It has to be comfortable. You can't stand up. That doesn't happen. You're, You'll be able to stand up. Well, it, it just keep somebody with a spatula every three days needs to flip you because there could be bed sores. But anyway, folks, again, you take the Helix Sleep Quiz. You're matched with the model mattress. They deliver it to your door. It's got a 100-night risk-free trial. It could be soft, medium, firm. It can be whatever you want it to be. If you give it a tip, it'll do the things that your wife won't. So right now, folks... Go to helixsleep.com. Again, as I'm trying to find the goddamn copy, that's helixsleep. <laughs> helixsleep.com. That's H E L I X, helixsleep.com slash J C E, because they're offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners if you use that code. And remember the 10 or 15 year warranty, depending on the model, the number one mattress from GQ magazine, the multiple leading chiropodists that have recommended this fine mattress for you to lay on. And you could actually, some people are now actually being buried on their Helix mattress. And they just, they just bring a forklift and they just lift the whole thing up and and then they flip it over like a flapjack and the mattress side goes up and they just stick a stone and there you go. Boom. Helixsleep.com slash JCE. I don't even know what to say anymore. Yes, try Helix Sleep. The point, that's the point of the message. They're great. For real. All right, well, I did wake up in time this morning before we went on the air here, as they say, to peruse the contents of SmackDown. But the big news, before we talk about that, uh, that, that's coming up on the Raw 30th anniversary is that, Brian, we got a, a little precognition 
going on here on the program. You know, the new precognitions, they're on all the cars. They replace the former ignition because now you just, you know when the car is going to start before it starts. It's amazing. But the precognition that we had about Vince returning was the one thing you would see is a bunch of stars coming back to get these ratings up and get these numbers up for what is apparently going to be a a uh, a concerted effort to sell this white elephant before people figure out what's wrong. And son of a gun, wouldn't you know who won the pony? How much bigger? <laughs> what was it that? How big is big? How wild is wild? Who was it that said that one time? One of the wrestling announcers. They've got Hulk Hogan. They've got The Undertaker. They've got Ric Flair. No stone has been left unturned, nor no stoned <laughs> wrestler left unturned. Except Stone Cold, who won't be anywhere Except near Stone it. Cold, who won't be. Well, here's the thing. He's smart enough to realize he don't want to get lost in the crowd. But nevertheless, do you have a list of all of the various mega names that are coming back to show everybody that the people on the current roster don't matter at all? Well, WWE put a graphic up last night during SmackDown showing all the WWE legends that have been announced so far for Raw is 30, 30th anniversary special. What was it a few years ago then? Remember we saw one where they treated all the legends like shit? The big show was there. It was the last thing we saw yeah. them do. But it was all the same people that were here. And then what it, Randy Orton browbeat Mark Henry and he wheeled himself off on his wheelchair when he'd had foot surgery or whatever. Was that just a generic legends night that wasn't an anniversary? I, d I don't remember now. It you know it it could have just been, oh golly, we need ratings. Uh, let's have the legends come out. But this it's a big thirty years is a big deal. I think they actually missed the exact anniversary by two weeks, didn't they? But we're yeah. not going to be picky. But uh, so who who is on that list? Well, let's go through some of the names you already mentioned. Nature Boy Ric Flair. First time on Raw in a very long time, I would think. And I wonder if it's, uh, is Becky Lynch on Raw or on SmackDown, or does it matter anymore? Will there be any tension? Could we hear about a backstage pull-apart between Ric Flair and Becky Lynch, perhaps? No, I think it would turn into Ric Flair versus Franklin Rollins. Ooh, Franklin might have to come in on that one. But then maybe Charlotte might be the toughest one of all of them. Also here in this graphic... An older man in a leather jacket and his cross-eyed friend. It appears they're doing the X symbol with their hands. I'm assuming they're going to be DX on this night. Triple H and Shawn Michaels. Triple H and Shawn Michaels. And again, even though we assume that everybody thinks they're around all the time because they're behind the scenes and, and the behind the scenes news in WWE is more exciting than the television programs, but they, they don't make TV that often especially Michaels, and in light of Vince being back, you know, that, that'll put some extra interest on Triple H. So they're the big, and more big guns. You want to get ratings? Play into everything everyone's talking about. This week on Raw, Vince McMahon will decide if he's going to throw Triple H off the board of directors or not. <laughs> Find out at 10 p.m. on Raw. <laughs> That's how you use it, but also... On the show? They'd have 5 million viewers. Play into it. All this shit's happening. It's in the press. Everyone's talking about it. Use it. But also on the show, someone who loves to use other people, the immortal Hulk Hogan. 
And will he be bringing Tom Cruise with him? That would be something. These are the important things. Tom Cruise could put this over the top. Tom Cruise is very short, but very tall is the dead man, The Undertaker. And this one, I mean, because let's face it, Hogan's been back, even though all these people being back on television are, you know, it's a, a momentous occasion. But most of them have been back. Taker has not been seen since his retirement as The Undertaker. He's done a couple of his one-man shows, but he's been off television. So this one's kind of a bad, but what, they're obviously not going to embarrass Undertaker, and he's obviously not going to be threatened in a physical angle that he's not going to come out on top of, but I wonder, uh, what do they do with, does he overshadow everyone else? If he gets a big part in this thing, a lot of times the legends are just, remember that, that Legends show they had fucking brother love bruce dressed up as brother love just walk in and say i love you to three or four legends and that was their participation they got to do something big with taker but what do they do with taker that doesn't diminish their current talent if he gets physical he's got to win if it's just a cameo people may be let down that's going to be interesting see again play into what's happening have him come out there with a shovel the dead man's going to bury all of vince's lawsuits <laughs> play into it no no, wait a minute. Maybe instead, Undertaker comes down the aisle accompanied by the illegal paralegal. The Undertaker? Why would the Undertaker the, uh, have the her? The Undertaker has gone to the light side. He's now, <laughs> <he's> now going <laughs> to get even with the dark side and old Vince for everything. He's on the side of the paralegal. All right. Well, I don't know whose side this man will be on. Olympic gold medalist Kurt Angle. And again, um, you know, Kurt's probably not going to get physical, uh, but he was just on in Pittsburgh in his birthday celebration where it was kind of, eh, there wasn't much to do there. And then they, you, what was his, what's his name that they were trying to give the rub to the, the amateur that they signed, uh, Gable, Gable, Stevenson. St Gable Stevenson that kind of. Stood there and held that milk hose. It was, eh, all right. But he was just there. Pioneering women's wrestling belt trash can thrower, Alundra Blaze. <laughs> of course, our friend Medusa is uh, who No, Alundra. They're not going to call her Medusa. You think she'll be well, Medusa on Raw? No, that's I'm saying that's who that is, even though they have to call her Alundra Blaze because that's who was on Raw 25 years ago or whatever. But uh, she has not been, uh, she was in the, uh, did the Hall of Fame thing a few years ago, but she hasn't been a regular on their television. So there's a, a name they haven't, you know, beaten into powder over the past few years. The next man on this list, a former general manager, but I like to think of him as one of the more underrated managers of his era, Theodore Arlong. <laughs> Theodore. It's always good to see Theodore. And and he can do a variety of things, so that'll be interesting. Making a return, just so he could say damn once on camera, Ron Simmons. And again, you know, Ron's been a big part of Raw, and that's going to be, they're going to work the damn spot somewhere. Um, and he's something with him and JBL. And something with him and JBL. He's been back, so it's not a, you know, momentous return after many, many years, but uh, he definitely belongs on a legends list. A big return, walking 20 feet from Gorilla to the front, 
the road dog, Jesse James. Well, as you mentioned, uh, coming a long way to the taping, uh, well, they, those aisles have gotten longer since they have the big setup and everything. But yeah, so they're obviously a DX reunion will be uh, uh, would be incomplete without the road diggity dog. Someone who I think people are usually happy to see and who I think actually appreciates these kind of things more than the other wrestlers sometimes. The one, two, three kid, Sean Waltman. Or well, X-Pac, there, I guess I should say also. Well, X-Pac. Um, and there you've got the DX reunion. So that's a perfect fit. And and uh, they'll get a chance to do all the things that they do. <laughs> well, I don't know. With the, Now we're getting to the point. You've mentioned a lot of names. Are they going to have any matches on this show? Are they going to have any representation of the modern stooges that pass for superstars these days? Or... It might get better ratings if they just parade everybody that you've listed out and let them do a five-minute interview. I don't know if they'll have enough time, because if this man gets a mic, it'll be five minutes of plugging the company whose shirt he'll probably be wearing, Diamond Dallas Page. Bang! Um, <laughs> yes, Page will probably, he'll, <laughs> he'll do the MMA thing. He'll have all of his sponsors on it, on whatever outfit, so even if he doesn't get a chance to do a promo, he'll make sure to get everything plugged. Every one of his sponsors is his own yoga company, which he keeps changing the name of every few years. <laughs> it's not yoga! You know, Jim, we've talked about Hulk Hogan and the potential that he may join Scientology. What happens to this man, Jimmy Hart? Ooh, Jimbo! Handsome Jimbo from Mempho! I will enjoy seeing Jimmy again. You know, he's going to be, I believe, 80 this year. That's incredible. Can you believe? And st has looked the same for the past 45 years. Uh, so I'll be, I'll be happy to see Jimmy. But yeah, if Tom Cruise gets a hold of Hogan, I'm afraid that Jimmy's days as Hogan's manager may be numbered. I wonder how Tom Cruise would look with a megaphone. Well, maybe this next man could use some of Jimmy Hart's help once again. Someone who I just saw posted he had his first match of 2023, Jerry the King Lawler. Good Lord. Um, that would mean that Jerry has been wrestling now. His first match was in November of 1970. So he's been wrestling for 52 years and three months. Uh, and again, Lawler uh, is almost synonymous with Raw, especially when people actually watched it, so... You know, there you go. But he's been around again a number of times, so I don't know people are going to lose their shit, but he belongs there. Also making his return, a man who whenever you see him interviewed, and you're a kid who watched wrestling in the 90s, you think, I never knew this was the nicest man on the planet. <laughs> the Godfather. <laughs> and I well, now, can he have, can he have any hoes? Or it, it, now, is, is this going to be, he's, uh, He's gone out to one of these halfway houses, and he's trying to mentor young women to pursue a career in internet technology. See, again, play into what's happening in the press. The godfather starts coming out with women, and he gets stopped on the entranceway. And all of a sudden, someone comes out there and says, we just heard from our founder and chairman, and he has a problem with the way you are using these women, and he won't allow it on his show. Unless you sign this NDA, and then the girls <laughs> sign the NDA. And then they go on down the ramp. And it's Raw 30. Bring back Clarence Mason. Have him hand out the legal time. There you go. There you go. Well, finally, to round out this list of legends, 
former WWE World Tag Team Champions, Ted DiBiase and Erwin R. Scheister, Money, Inc. And of course, uh, Erwin R. Scheister, better known to many of us as Mike Rotunda, who is related in the various ways to the Wyatt family of whatever. Who the fuck is in the Wyatt family now? All of the, I guess that means that Mike Rotunda is the grandfather of a bunch of animal puppets. Well, that's <laughs> the legends list so far. You never know who will be just randomly that's... showing up for Raw is 30. And again, what I'm worried about in, in some cases, a lot of those are just going to be throwaways and nobody's going to get a chance to speak or do anything because that's a, what, 20-something people you've just listed there as well as try to do the regular program. But we'll see what... Uh, they've got to have uh, the top names, especially, like I said, Taker, and Hogan's not just going to come in and look like a flunky. So there's going to have to be some meat to a few of the segments with the legends. Would you, would you not assume? You got to think there'll be meat to something with The Undertaker, Hogan, DX, probably Flair... And then I think they'll just kind of be throwaway backstage segments more than likely with Ron Simmons and Dallas Page and Jimmy Hart and everyone else. Well, we will find out. We'll be there for it. Uh, but in the meantime, and in between time... We'll be watching it. We will not be there. Well, we, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be there with it in spirit. We'll be watching it and we'll be covering it. We just won't be appearing on it because it's not happening in my fucking TV room. What about your, are, are, have they booked Raw in your house yet? They have not booked Raw in my house, no. They had a, boy, some of the early Raws they did, your house is bigger than those buildings. I was at the very first Raw. And, well, that was one of the nice ones. Remember, I, my first Raw was that fucking tin shed in Alexandria Bay, New York. It played kids hockey in it. Anyway, uh, so SmackDown... I did, as I said, I got up early this morning right before we went on the air, and I, I watched as much as I could to try to get them or let them get me excited about the Royal Rumble. It may have been a, a potentially a fruitless task, but nevertheless, I will save all the Bloodlines participation for the end because, again, they were the re recurring theme and the thread through the show, and to be honest, that's the only thing that keeps you interested but briefly talking about some of the other things they're having an eight team tag team tournament now to determine who gets a shot at the raw tag team title so now they're did we miss in the holiday season and the spirit of things did we miss where they gave a good reason why the usos are defending each title individually now or did they just announce it and we're going with it I don't know, because I hate the commentators so much, Michael Cole and Wade Barrett, that I don't listen to them as much as I could. As much as I can avoid them, I do. So I don't know what the reasoning is. And, you know, I've seen many times Michael Cole comes walking down the street, you cross to the other side. I would, knock, I would knock him over. Why would I cross? It's my street. Well, you're avoiding him. You can avoid it me. It might not be your street. I don't. Every street I'm on is my street. He can hey, avoid I'll me. Tell you what? Michael Cole has a pretty goddamn good reputation on the mean streets of Stamford, Connecticut, I'll have you know. Well, anyway, the first match in this tournament was Seamus and Drew McIntyre against the Viking Raiders with their young lady Val Halla next to them. I thought, if, if, 
I thought Paul Bearer was the best whatever, but Valhalla. Um, Brad, here's a question. I don't know if you're up on your Norse mythology. Did Vikings have tattoos? That's a very good question. I had never thought of before. Um, I don't believe they did, but like you said, I'm not up on my Norse mythology. I don't know. They may have had uh, different types of tattoo parlors back in the days of the Vikings. Anyway, Michael Cole at the top of the program sent out condolences over Jay Briscoe so they can mention him on the Fox network on broadcast television in a, in a rival company, but over on TBS anyway. And let's give them credit for that. You know, and a lot of people in that oh, no, locker I room am. and a lot of people in that locker room came from ring of honor. And a lot of people were really upset about this whole thing. And WWE and triple H deserve credit for letting that get on the air and for broadcasting that to the world. That was actually a really nice thing. And it, again, it just magnifies the ridiculosity of what was going on on the other channel. But anyway, besides that, old Valhalla's outfit is way over the top. Can you, with the antlers she's got on, can you see if there was an errant dive and she happened to be standing there? Somebody could be impaled on her headgear. Oh, my God. Uh, I, I did notate that Seamus and the bald Viking are the palest wrestlers ever. But in all seriousness, there's nothing wrong with this match. I liked the Viking Raiders before the WWE when they got to Goofy gimmick, and now they've tried to serious them up. But it's just, it's it's the WWE presentation. There was nothing wrong with this match, and these guys hit hard, and they're all professionals. It's just, I don't care about the matches because they don't. And I'm not talking about the talent. I'm talking about the writers or whoever is in charge of formatting this program that makes the matches the most insignificant part of it. And finally, uh, Seamus beat Ivar with his kick, and we were a half an hour into the program, past the first segment. Do you have any uh, further clarification or elucidation, Brian? Not really. It's just weird to love tag team wrestling and not want to see their tag team matches. And you know, some of it is the fault of the people, but it's actually just the fault of the way all of these people have been used for way too long. And, you know, I know a lot of people like you raved about the Vikings before they got there and became Vikings. But maybe it's because I've only really seen them as Vikings. I've never seen too much. And Seamus has been there a very long time. And wasn't McIntyre getting a push again a few weeks ago? Now he's in a tag team. I don't know. This is the opening the of the show. It, he's, he's a brawling brute also because of the accents it hit me anyway. it hit me watching the brawling brutes the other day they're vince's because they they were created by vince yes they're his modern hillbillies yeah <laughs> he always loves having yes. like the little one just run around act crazy and the big one like they're his hillbillies for today that's it just because now they're global in reach so he thinks the new west virginia is scotland or whatever you know anyway Let's get to the, uh, as I said, we're skipping some bloodline. We'll come back to it. But the thing that I would assume that most people are talking about, and I'm not in universal agreement, obviously, the whole Bray Wyatt thing again. Poor L.A. Knight. He's in the ring. He's talking about Bray Wyatt. And he's trying to do the best he can with what any... What anybody would be saying, what is this fucking guy's problem? He's he's He is howdy, he's not howdy. I know who he is. You know, he's a fucking nobody. I know who I am. 
I'm L.A. Knight. L.A. Knight did, does a great promo. They've done nothing to make people believe in him or to believe that he's even comparable or competitive with this fucking Wyatt that's come back that in the past has been literally immortal and invulnerable. It is really they, weird. It, it is really weird. Here's a guy that looks and sounds like a wrestler who we all talked about how misused he was as a male model scout or whatever he was. And then they just turned him back to LA Knight and all of a sudden just dropped him into this Bray Wyatt thing. But yeah, they didn't and give fans without, enough time to care about him. Yeah. With it, it's, it, it's with no bill to begin with much less. If he had been LA Knight consistently and then suddenly he gets dropped in this thing, they still didn't do that much with LA Knight to get him ready for a, a spot against a supposed top guy but especially coming off the worst gimmick ever in history and just the stupidest reason for it to get into it and to get out of it where he became Max Dupree for a month and a half or whatever. It's just, so now he's got to go out there and do these promos and then put up with his shit. And he beat nobody Smith in 30 seconds. And then suddenly on the screen up pops the firefly fun house. And we've got, the buzzard and the pig and the rabbit and Bray Wyatt's ass crack. And they're rebuilding the fun house and the puppets are speaking to Bray. I can't understand the chipmunk voice. It was, is it the chip? Well, it's a rabbit, but it sounds like Alvin and the chipmunks. I can't understand what the puppets were saying to fucking Bray Wyatt to begin with. There's a pig eating chocolate. Wyatt's talking to the rabbit. There's cheesy music in the background. And then Captain Howdy shows up on the screen, says, I told you so over and over. And, you know, it's your fault, whatever. And then Bray Wyatt all of a sudden gets serious in the middle of this lunacy, says, I hope you're satisfied. I'm not, by the way. I'm not satisfied in any way. But I hope you're satisfied. You don't realize what you've done. You better be scared when the lights go out. And then... Have a nice day. I said, Mick Foley should sue. And they play the fucking goofy music out. of It's official, ladies and gentlemen. Bray Wyatt sucks. He's a shits. He's a great promo talent that he does nothing with. This whole deal is fucking rotten. It makes no sense. It's phony. It buries anybody that's involved with it. How do you book anybody after this guy gets finished with him? And we were blaming Vince. Well, they've been doing this, and Vince has been gone. And now that Vince is back, I don't think suddenly his first order of business was get that Firefly Funhouse back on television. This is what Bray Wyatt wants to do. He doesn't want to use his, his obvious vocal talent to be a believable kick-ass wrestler in the mode of his family tree he wants to be this goddamn supernatural fucking moron that does this inexplicable shit that clogs this program up brian do you have any ray of sunshine in this this is exactly what i told you to expect this is exactly what i thought we would get from this guy he's not had one match not that i want to see him have a match and it's been non-stop speeches characters now we're back to this Fucking Firefly Funhouse. I had a little bit of hope here. L.A. Knight comes out there. Good promo. He's intense. You look at his eyes, he's intense. Which makes him stand out 
compared to everyone else. And he's calling out how weird all this shit is. They give him a squash win. I'm like, all right, something going on here. And then all of this. And then the most insulting thing, maybe also how it just ends. It just, the Firefly Funhouse ends and that's it. We never see what LA Knight has to say or anything else. Just go to commercial. No, this is terrible stuff. And and scene. I don't know. I don't think, I guess you could justify Bray Wyatt's contract with the merch that he moves from his skits. But then just do something else. I mean, that's the thing. There's all these things that if we start just doing things based on what will sell merch, you know, it's a slippery slope because there's lots of shit that has nothing to do with wrestling that you could sell a ton of. But I don't, I don't like Bray Wyatt. I don't understand why anyone in the world finds any of this entertaining or good. Or even understands it. (laughs) Um, And we talk about selling merchandise. You know what? If they invested in a bunch of, you know, these fucking commercials you see where it's, oh, you've got to get this new amazing spotlight or this new amazing fish gutter or whatever. But hey, we're not going to make any more of them. So you got to order it quick because they're, they've been discontinued. Yeah. They get a bunch of those and just do a segment on those. That is the new scam, isn't it? You just brought that up yeah. and I've noticed in a bunch of these. It's the, the greatest product that's ever been made, folks. You can't live your life without this. But unfortunately, they've been discontinued. We're not going to make it anymore. <laughs> I saw that in one commercial that I saw in another. I was like, is this the same commercial I saw the other one? And it wasn't. <laughs> so you, one would think if it's so impossible to live your life without this product that somebody else would pick that manufacturing up. Anyway, speaking of living your life without this product, so the tag team tournament continued on SmackDown, and I must admit, I watched this, or I watched most of it, the good parts, Skid Row versus Los Lotharios, because I am now mesmerized by Flop Dollar. (laughs) I can't take my eyes off him. It's like you never know what kind of entertainment you're going to get, and again, he has the attitude that he is performing like a goddamn Olympic gymnast while he looks like a fucking mattress with half the stuffing pulled out of it. And so I determined that I was going to watch whatever he was involved in in this match. And Brian, do you remember what the first thing he did in this entire match was? I don't, I think I remember him kicking someone in the corner, but I don't know if that was the first thing he did. Well, no, the very first thing that flop dollar did in this match was he tagged into it. He was standing on the apron of the ring and his partner, old Adonis is in the ring and Adonis goes to tag flop dollar and flops. First move is to tag in and he missed it. He missed the tag. He did so. I've never seen any. And remember, I've managed a variety of tag team experts. And there's a way that you agree with your partner on how you're going to do tags so that you don't look like an idiot and miss a fucking tag. But in this case, he did something I've never seen before. He held his hand up and had the back of his hand was toward his partner in the ring. Like the guy was supposed to tag the back of his hand instead of palm to palm. I've never seen anybody do that before. And then as he's holding his hand up, when Adonis goes to slap it, Flop moves his hand at that exact moment and they miss the tag. 
So the first time, the first physical movement that this guy made in his match was just to tag in and he missed it. So then, um, again, this guy is amazing. He's mesmerizing. He tried to beal the guy out of the corner, but his timing was off. He gave, a, gave him a rotten beal because the guy couldn't tell from his movement what he was doing. It was off rhythm. But then he gets him down over the announcer's desk, and Flop Dollar can trash talk great. And he's got a face like, oh, yeah, and he hit the guy with a great chop. He can chop. And then they got back in the ring and he got a rear waist lock and he looked like a drunk underwater again, trying to grab the Lothario's pants where they could do the spot where Lothario leaps forward for the tag and Flop Dollar is holding onto his pants and they're tearaway pants. And Flop ends up with the pants in his hand and a confused look on his face because the guys dived out of him and tagged. Well, this was such a cold, dead tag because nobody got it. It was so quick that it was one of those deals where they ran off and left the people. And it by the time that they realized what had happened, and plus it wasn't an exciting match and it had only gone three minutes to begin with, if that. I didn't think that was three minutes in. So... While Flop is confused, he's standing there. Adonis tags himself in by slapping Flop's shoulder. And then the the other Lothario made a comeback. And Adonis schoolboyed one of them, one, two, three, while Flop was wallering around on the floor. It, it, like I said, a three-minute match. But I, I couldn't. I, I rewound it three or four different times to watch him miss the tag. Amazing. Your thoughts. He is an entertaining guy to watch now that we've all seen how bad he is. I will say he looks sickly. I know you criticized him a lot for his weight. He looked better with weight. I mean, yeah, like, remember, yes. remember when King Kong Bundy lost a lot of weight and it was like, eh, yes, you're yeah. still a big guy, but you're not Bundy. Yeah. He looked, at least he had something that nobody else had when he weighed 400, well, few other people had, when he weighed 400 pounds and he looked like a fucking refrigerator. Now he just looks like, you know, he's the Macy's parade that sprung a leak. I'll never complain about AEW's tag team division when you see this tag team division here on SmackDown. Uh, well, moving on, um, and I'm not going to, again, the best thing on the show was the same thing I think we said was the best thing on Raw or whatever, the last thing we watched, a Cody package. The surgery, the therapy, the comments from the doctor, from the physical therapist, the the way they put the video together, the juxtaposing the the bruising and then the scar from the surgery, and now he's working out in the gym. And he, you know, he says, here, this is where I can make myself bulletproof. This kind of stuff makes people stars, overcoming adversity, returning for a goal. It's real shit. It's real sports. This is, and you would have to think that Cody's had a lot of input in this because it's so different, such a different tone than most of the things that the WWE does that they can't help themselves from, you know, winking at a little bit. But this is straightforward. It's the best thing on the program. The word is that Jeremy Borash is the one behind these pieces. And that makes sense. Jeremy's got a good head if you let him. Well, it doesn't look very good, but it's, you know, there's smart up in there somewhere under all that ugly. If you let him do what he 
does best. He can come up with shit like this. But anyway, um, I don't know how I Co- felt about the what. Go ahead. Cody better win the Rumble. The way they're building him up in these things. Oh, yeah. They're building him up to get a big pop in the Rumble. And I think he's the only person so far you could think of that anyone's anticipating getting to see in the Rumble besides any surprise people. The way this is going so far, he better win that fucking Rumble. Well, but, you know, here's one thing that is a strong point of Vince McMahon's that can't be said for other people named Vince. Sometimes when the fans overwhelmingly want something to happen, Vince McMahon will give it to him. Where even if he does have something to do with creative or is in charge of the whole shebang or whatever, I think the Triple H, everybody understands the way this is being built, that Cody better win the Rumble. Vince understands that even though people expect it, sometimes you have to give them what they expect, so I don't expect that to be a problem with him trying to change things. If it was another era or another guy named Vince, he would want to swerve people and kill the moment just to so people didn't call it. And that's, you know, sometimes when people go to see a particular fucking movie, they expect to see that fucking movie. They don't want you to change it on them at the last minute in the projectionist booth. So anyway, but as I mentioned, I don't know how I felt about Charlotte and Cruella DeVille. So I'm going to ask you first. This segment had its positives and negatives, but what did you think overall of their interaction here in this in-ring, face-to-face confrontation they had? Another really awkward women's promo segment. We just saw Becky and um, and Bailey on Raw, and then there was this, and you know, this is week two of Charlotte, or week I guess week three of Charlotte as a baby three. face, and Sonya. I mean, I, I kind of was a little sick of Sonya on this show last year from everything she was doing, and then Pierce comes out and confronts her. I wasn't crazy about this, but I'm also going into this not convinced that Charlotte should be a baby face. Well, I can see why that they want her to be a babyface and why they brought her back as a babyface because she's been gone for a while and they were glad to see a name come back. And the past couple weeks, she's done a good job with it. I'm not saying she didn't hear. It's obvious they they had a VTR of uh, her and and Cruella having the big backstage pull apart last week, and we criticized that just because it they did a great job with it, but they. Everybody does them. It wasn't anything new. It was It's so played out, right? That was the criticism. But Charlotte comes out here. She's a pure baby face. Woo! Doing the whole thing. And she didn't say much before she called out DeVille to come out and face her and say these things to her face. And immediately the music plays. Not immediately. They waited 10 seconds. And as Sonya comes out, old Cruella, as I call her, she's already got the microphone. And this is what my problem is, is with these shows, with all of the WWE shows under their umbrella. And we talked about AEW has patterns. They, they have interviews where the intended interviewee barely says anything before they get interrupted, shut down, beat up, assaulted you know, impregnated by some whatever. 
with the WWE, there the talent runs the show and everything develops the same way, and there is nothing spontaneous about it. There's no realism. There's no of the moment. The talent, because somebody comes out and speaks ill about a person and calls them to come out, and that person immediately comes out with music queued up and ready at the you know at the instant. And then they interact with each other, not in an argument like anybody would have if they were mad at each other, didn't like each other, just wanted to talk trash to each other on fuck, even hype a fight. They have a an interchange or an interaction that's presented as a play developing in front of the audience that's scripted argument verbiage about differing opinions with little zing, personal zingers that the writers think might be cute. And it's all the fucking same. And then the other person, while one's talking, the other stands there and smirks at the little jab the other one just made. Ah. Cruella did the best of the bunch here. She did a fired-up promo and got a, did a good job. She got the people up a little bit and got some heat with them. But it's And then the same thing that happens. Charlotte finally, well, how about we fight right here, right now? And the heel says no. And then she does the fake walk-off and stops. And then turns and walks back with purpose and says, unless it's for the title. And then Adam Pierce comes out saying, hey, hey, what's going on now? Blah, blah, blah. And when Charlotte turns her back, Cruella hits her from behind and then bails out on the floor and nothing happens. Charlotte sells there, pissed off. Cruella smiling, Pierce is confused. End. It, it, Do you want to see that match? Does anyone come out of that wanting to see that match? No, because they see this. It's the same thing developed and orchestrated the same way all the time in the same genre, the same flavor, just with different people doing words that someone else has written for them. Any final thoughts on that one? No. Okay. The tag team tournament continued. <laughs> Ridge and Butch against Ludwig and Marcel of the Imperium. And I'm saying, okay, all four of these guys look like athletes. Their shit is nice and crisp. They're doing some action. They'll give this a minute, and that's what they gave it. After 90 seconds of this, they went to a commercial break. And they were gone for three and a half minutes. So they were gone for more than twice as long as they had wrestled. When they came back, Stace had asked me a question, and I answered it and resumed watching in time to see them hit their finish, Imperium. They won one, two, three, four minutes of this made air. But that's better than the next one because the tag team tournament continued with the Minimum male models against the Lucha suits. And I just completely skipped that because, my God, seriously, at this point. I'm waiting to see the bloodline, and I'm waiting to see the big main event, which is not a match, again, on their program. AEW gave us Darby Allen and Kushida, which is not a main event in any building in this country. And SmackDown gave us a main event that's not a match at all contract signing with Owens and Roman, but at least with the stars, you figure something might happen, right? So from the start of the program, 
the entire bloodline had entered into the garage of the arena in a fleet of SUVs, and they all got out, and they're celebrating, and there's Sammy, and there's the Usos, Solo, Heyman gets out, Roman, here he comes, Sammy goes for the fist bump, Roman turns and walks off on him, won't give him the fist bump. So then later on in the program, Sammy was in the Bloodline locker room talking to Roman with the Wyatt Heyman's facials and just any slight reaction. I just keep my eyes on him. He's incredible. But Sammy's like, is there heat? The old Austin Idol, is there heat? It's not scalding, but I can feel it. It's there. Roman wants Sammy to tell the truth about last week. What went on? And Sammy, well, I was disappointed that the Usos helped at me. I thought I was going to get to do it on my own. And Roman says, oh, so now I got to run my plans by you, the honorary use. I could get the fuck out of here. And he kicked him out of the locker room. So it's looking bad for Sammy. What'd you think of that? The whole segment there where, again, they're ignoring the fact the camera's right in front of them. Right. Yeah. I mean, we ha- at this point, we have to live with that. Unfortunately. Be grateful yeah. for small favors. But right? beyond that issue, what do you think of this whole thing with Sammy there and then Roman just turns the tables on him? You could tell by Sammy's facial reactions. Yeah. Why do we have to do this every week? Why do I have to run everything by you? What do you think about this part of the uh, show long angle? I like it because it's keeping the people that are rooting for Sammy to somehow come out of this good or successful or whatever. I'm talking about the the fans. They're cheering Sammy. They want him to do something. They like him. They like what he's doing with this and they want to see more of him. But you can't just it can't just every week be, you know, sunshine, lollipops, rainbows, and waterfalls. There has to be some kind of conflict or tension. And they've been doing this with a slow build, and and they're still not ready to choke slam each other to hell or whatever. But you can tell that now people are starting to get a little more tense about, oh, is Roman going to do something to Sammy? Or will Sammy turn the tables and join? they're, They're wondering what might happen, and they're interested in it. Imagine that. In wrestling these days, I'll take it. Uh, but I I like it because they, it can't all be nice. There has to be, Sammy has to be in some risk or some jeopardy in the people's mind to keep people focused on him. So, then what, what, so what about Heyman then turning to Roman as soon as Sammy left the room? Well, that's the thing. The next thing you hear out of Heyman and Roman talking is Paul said, I never liked Schmooley anyway. I never liked him since day one. But. And then he carefully, you know, uh, prefaces his pitch to Roman as your wise man. It would be, uh, you know, improper of me not to bring up. And this is, an, you've heard this a million times. It's an old Vince line. I'm not saying he fed it to him, but everybody knows up there it's an old Vince line. Heyman asks Roman, isn't it better to have Sammy inside the castle pissing out than outside the castle pissing in? And that's an old Vince line from 30 years ago. Uh, So obviously they are conspiring to use Sami Zayn as Owens is trying to tell Sammy, but Sammy doesn't believe it yet. And then later on in the program, Heyman goes, uh, go ahead. You know what would help Sammy find out if he watched the program? Well, again, we have to... To get any kind of entertainment out of this shit these days, we have to just work with them on certain things. But then Sammy go, or Heyman goes to Sammy and says, hey, Roman wants to see you. So now they're in the back again. 
And Roman's like, oh, okay, Sammy, you want to be part of the team? You want full communication. Okay. And Sammy's relieved. But then Roman says, well, I expect the same love and respect from you as I give out. And Sammy assures him, the bloodline is first. I'll do anything. So Roman tells him, go find the Usos, get the exit ready, get the plane started or whatever. As soon as this signing is over, we're out of here. And gives him the fist. And the people popped when Roman Reigns gave Sammy the fist bump in the fucking locker room backstage. They popped watching it on the monitor. So this is the only, one of the only things they really care about. But after all that had occurred, when we come up for the contract signing, which they've milked throughout the program, there's 10 minutes on the air again, like there is in most of these contract signing segments. And the bloodline entrance takes up four minutes. <laughs> so now we're six minutes to the top of the hour. Roman sits down, puts his feet up on the table. Nothing happens for another minute or so. And then suddenly Owens appears. He's come from the back door or the front door, whatever. He appears on the side of the ring and pulls. That's charitable. Poor Solo. He Owens grabs Solo with one hand while Owens is on the apron and Solo's in the ring. And suddenly this fucking fire plug of a Samoan just flies over the top rope and out. Uh, but Owens is in and kicks Roman, gives him a fucking stunner before Roman ever sees him coming. And then he beats up Solo and the Usos. I'm the, my God, it's Stone Cold Steve Austin. Here is Kevin Owens beats up three full-blooded Samoans and then comes back in and hits a pop-up powerbomb on Roman Reigns through the table that's set up in the ring. Again, it's, it's preposterous because it's Owens. And he's his gimmick is not exactly Ken Shamrock, the world's dangerous, most dangerous man. But I agree they've got they've got a title match and they've got a, a big pay per view and they've got to get some interest in this. So as he's laid waste to every Samoan from the island, then Heyman's begging in the corner and holding the belts and the contract. And as Owens approaches and menaces Paul, who squeals, "Please, no, I'm a father." Owens takes contract and signs it, and just then Sami Zayn appears, jumps up on the apron of the ring with a bewildered look on his face, and Owens tosses the contract to Sami, who catches it, and Owens takes off before the other Bloodline members can get to him. So now there's poor Sami in, in possession of that contract that I'm sure Roman is not going to be very happy about. What's going to happen next week? I can't wait to find out. That's right. It's the only uh, thing people care about that's happening in WWE right now is the stuff with the bloodline and Sammy and Owen. Owen. Owens. And well, and, and again, you know, most of it not involving matches. Just, you know, the, so that's, that's the difference in AEW and WWE. The AEW fans are going crazy, jumping up and down like their heads are on fire for matches involving green guys and shitty talents. And over here, they've got the most professionally trained crew in the history of wrestling. And the matches are the least exciting thing and made the most, the least important thing on the whole program. Yeah, whether it's Bray Wyatt, who we don't like, and we've spoken at length about that, or Roman Reigns, the big comparison is they never wrestle. 
You know, we never see these guys wrestle. One is a multi-segment week-long bloodline thing, and the other is a multi-segment week-long spiritual spooky thing on the same show. One of them's clicking and one of them's terrible. I think they should get Spinguli to be in charge of the Firefly Funhouse. Then they'd get some ratings. He is the highest rated show on MeTV by far. And boy, I'll tell you what, and he'd, and he'd probably uh, do a better job of corralling all the evil demon possessed puppets than Bray Wyatt does either. But anyway, so this program was to build to the Royal Rumble. And besides the contract signing and the chaos there at the last few minutes of the program, I'm not really, and, and obviously to see Cody, because that's kind of the highlight of the show. Otherwise, did it, did it give you, you know, a salivation to, to, you can't wait to see the Royal Rumble based on this television program? No, and you could say the same thing about Raw. It didn't do too much to make you want to see the Royal Rumble. Let's go down the list of matches they've announced so far. And the date of the Rumble, for the record, is... And by the way, we're a week away, yeah. so you would think the meat of the matter has probably been exposed. January 28th, Saturday, Bianca Belair versus Alexa Bliss for the WWE Raw Women's Championship. And again, Alexa Bliss now is in some way involved with her former cohort, Bray Wyatt, and yeah. the supernatural spooky shit, and I guess she's going to be sitting in a swing and vomiting black soot at some point i don't want to see alexa bliss at all because she's microscopic she's four feet three and 72 pounds and the cutesy thing and bianca belair needs an opponent but she boy she really needs an opponent here because alexa bliss ain't it in the mountain dew pitch black match <laughs> bray wyatt versus la knight we don't know the rules. We don't know the stipulations. All we know is that Mountain Dew is the sponsor. And I have a feeling it's going to be heavy on puppets and spooky music and the creaking door. And I'm not looking forward to it. And poor L.A. Knight is going to have to once again, you know, stooge for some of this tomfoolery. For the undisputed WWE Universal Championship, the champion Roman Reigns, with Paul Heyman, versus Kevin Owens. And I have no doubt this is going to be a good match. Owens always wants to have a good match. Um, I'm sure Heyman will be heavily involved in putting it together. Boy, it, it, you know, it takes a silver-tongued, manipulative devil like Heyman to actually be able to get Owens to do shit for his own good, probably. And Roman Reigns, it'll be over because the issue is over, and it'll probably further something with our dear friend Sammy. So this could be one of the highlights of the program. And the other two matches announced so far, and of course Raw is in a few days, the men's and women's 30 men and women Wait. Royal Rumble. They're going to do a women's Royal Rumble too. They've done this the last several years, yes. I forgot about that, because I never watch them. Because, God damn it. All right. So, basically, we're going to spend a while on Peacock this weekend to watch two matches. Roman Reigns and Kevin Owens and Cody hopefully win the Men's Royal Rumble. And 
Come on, you got to watch the Women's Royal Rumble. No, I'm not going to. No. Why not? Jesus, where are they going to find 30 women? Rhea Ripley. Shit. Well, let's go. Let's go over who's in. Give, give, give me Rhea Ripley against anybody for 10 minutes in a single match, not 30 women for 30 minutes. Let's go over the people they've announced so far, again, a week before the pay-per-view, as being participants in the two different Royal Rumbles. Let's go over the men's list so far. Announced on SmackDown, Kofi Kingston and Santos Escobar are in the Royal Rumble. Mm-hmm. Ricochet is in from defeating mm-hmm. Top Dollar to qualify. Also announced on Raw, Austin Theory, Seth Franklin Rollins, Bobby Lashley, and Baron Corbin. From SmackDown, Rey Mysterio and Gunther. Announced on Raw last week, Cody Rhodes and Omos. And finally, just announced in the last couple of days, Drew McIntyre, Sheamus, Braun Strowman, and Karrion Cross. That's an underwhelming list of people. I hate to say it. And then, I, go ahead. I'm, I'm just, I'm interested in. Hopefully, three people out of that will advance and be better than they were before. Theory, Gunther, and Cody. Cody should win. Theory and Gunther should look good. The rest of them, it's just they're all out there in the ether. If you surprise everyone with Brock in the Rumble, do you do the Brock and Gunther confrontation? Ugh, why would you no. leading to WrestleMania? Would, Tease it. But why would you surprise anybody at his price tag with Brock Lesnar? Because we're doing crazy things to hotshot this company. <laughs> okay, to well, sell if, it. If you, okay, if Brock does show up as an unannounced surprise, it would be a crazy, shocking thing to try to sell the company. And uh, and and in that case, if they did go in that direction, that would be wonderful to get. So and and to, they would need to eliminate each other, not Brock Punk Gunther out and then Gunther fuck him afterwards. When they did Hogan and the Warrior at the Royal Rumble in 1990, months before WrestleMania, you know, they kind of just crisscrossed each other, they knocked each other out with a clothesline, and then other people eliminated them. But you got that little bit of a tease, and again, it was Hogan and the Warrior, different than Gunther and Brock, to lead into Mania. Jim, here's who's been announced for the Women's Royal Rumble so far. Rhea Ripley. You see, there's a good reason to watch. And there's if also she other names. starts at number one and wins the whole thing, I would consider it a classic. Well, here are some of the other names also attached so far. Liv Morgan. Oh, boy. Candice LeRae. Oh, Jesus. Raquel Rodriguez. She's not bad. Shayna Baszler. Mm. And Zelina Vega. She's good. That's it? That's it so far. One, two, three, four. Six people a week out? Well, people assume that various... People that they know will be in the Rumble. Well, when you assume, you make an ass out of you and me. Hey, what happened to Gargano since Vince has been back? <laughs> I just, I'm looking at Candice LeRae's name on this list. Where's her husband? <laughs> hey, there's some things even, even Vince couldn't stay away from if he tried. Uh. <laughs> All right, then. So that's what's going to go on. And, and apparently what we're going to do is we're going to delay our normal recording one day this weekend instead of recording uh, the or next weekend, rather, instead of recording the experience on Saturday 
as we have been doing, we're going to record it on and releasing on Sunday. We're going to record on Sunday and release on Monday so we can see the big shoe. Correct? Well, we're going to record on Sunday. We're going to try to get it up on Sunday, too, but we'll see what happens. Well, then they need to get this goddamn thing over with in a timely fashion. We'll but actually, the WWE is not bad, but they're not going to give us a five-hour show that we'd rather see our mothers hooked up to a resuscitator than watch more wrestling by the time it's over. They, they're they about three hours, three and a half for the big ones, and they don't wear their welcome out. Well, sometimes they still we'll wear see, their welcome we'll out. We'll see about that. We'll see how they do on this Royal Rumble, but All right, what are you, Rumble. What's going on this week over at the Wrestling News Arcadian Vanguard 605 side of town? Another fine week of programming on the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Get information about all the shows on Twitter at Super Podcasts or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Arcadian Vanguard. want to thank everyone who's been checking out the Wrestling News, of course, available wherever you find your favorite podcast. Look for Arcadian Vanguard's The Wrestling News or go to TheWrestlingNews.com. Every day, daily, free, morning wrestling newscast. No opinions, no talking heads, no star ratings, just wrestling news usually in less than 15 minutes, sometimes in less than eight minutes. Check it out today. Once again, download directly or stream it from thewrestlingnews.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Look for Arcadian Vanguard's The Wrestling News. Also want to make mention of the latest episode of Stick the Wrestling with John McAdam, a look at one of the episodes from 1980 that WWE have just put on Peacock with the Bruno Sammartino Larry Zabisco feud. Ooh, check this out today. McAdamPod.com or look for Stick to Wrestling with John McAdam wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And of course, the 605 Super Podcast, The Membership! <laughs> Thank you to everyone who's been going through the archive. We really do appreciate it. Some new stuff in the works, but go through the archive today if you haven't. 605Pod.com. All episodes are available there for free, or of course, wherever you find your favorite podcast. The 605 Super Podcast, The Mothership. All right, and as a special little lights-out treat, folks, we've got a big main event for you, and it is a wrestling match, because since the Royal Rumble is upon us, it's Rumble season, we're going to go back and we're going to do a watch-along of one of the most famous Royal Rumbles in history, and one that is near and dear to your heart, Brian Last, and many of the 80s WCW NWA fans because it's the 1992 Royal Rumble that turned out to be a showcase for Nature Boy Ric Flair. He had come in the previous summer after being run off by Jim Hurd, given his notice, taking the belt. We Everybody knows the, the real world champion angle that they used to introduce him. And he and Hogan had had the house show matches around the horn, and people were thinking that they were building to Hogan and Flair for WrestleMania. Why wouldn't they think that? They didn't realize Vince was going to lose his mind. I don't know the real story. I mean, you hear the story that Bruce is going to tell, which is the company line that, well, our audience just didn't know Ric Flair. Well, and you booked him shitty. They gave the uh, Flair and Hogan matches away in some of the arenas instead of milking it. In my opinion, they made Flair, instead of an outsider, one of the boys too quickly. But in this match, he comes out 
Uh, the the Royal Rumble winner in 1992 was not going to get a shot at the title. It was going to be the champion. This was going to determine the WWF World Champion. And Flair came out early, so you just mentioned before we went on the air, you thought he was going to get fucked. But he ends up going the whole Rumble and winning the thing, including facing some of his greatest partners and friends as the wrestlers come in the ring will make note of it what their involvement had been with flair in his career in the past but this was kind of before the attitude era and since then eh, this was the rumble i think that everybody pointed to as being special because of flair's performance and and uh setting the the, the rumble record and did i encapsulate that correctly brian i still think this is the greatest royal rumble ever Nothing will ever top it. Sure, guys will do like crazy spots and there'll be big moments and big stars, but this was the one where everything came together. Bobby Heenan was on commentary. This was the single greatest night of Bobby Heenan's commentary career. <laughs> he was on fire. There may be a few moments. We'll play some of the audio so you could hear it because there's a few special moments during the Royal Rumble match. But also, like you said, as a kid, who liked Ric Flair. Ric Flair's my favorite wrestler. I'd already seen him wrestle Hulk Hogan live at Madison Square Garden. I wanted him to win the Royal Rumble. I didn't think he really would. And this ended up just being an amazing night. And in a lot of ways for the anti-Hogan fan, this also became a big moment where Sid eliminates him, fair and square, <laughs> and then Hogan at ringside just decides that's not good. And he yanks Sid until Flair does what he has to do. This was one of those moments that fans started getting a little sick of Hogan. This is one of those moments. Yeah. And well, and then they went with Hogan and Sid at WrestleMania because Vince had decided we got to go back to the Giants again. And, uh, you know, we never got that at, at the big show. And Flair and Savage, which wasn't Flair and Hogan, but is one of the more underrated matches of its era, because it's a great match and a bloody match from Flair. But anyway, so with that having said, uh, having been said, how can the people watch this classic matchup along with us here in the next minute or two? Of course, on Peacock, you want to go to the 1992 Royal Rumble, or as we insiders call it, Season 5, Episode 1 <laughs> of the Royal Rumble. The time will be 128.10. 128.10. A fan is holding up a yellow sign that says Hulk Hogan will run wild at the Royal Rumble. <laughs> so on Peacock, we're at 128.10 into Royal Rumble 92. You're going to do this countdown, right? I have never done it right yet, but we are, I'm going to do it is the correct thing, yes. I'm going to count down from five. After I get to one, I will say, press play now. And you press play right when I'm finishing the word now. It's so complicated every time. But here we go. Countdown beginning right now. Five, four, three, two, one. Press play now. Boom. I just hit it. And there's, there's that sign and there's Fink in the ring. And here come Jack Tunney. A man's with the man. championship belt. A man's man. 
And Jack Tunney obviously was a member of the Tunney family that had promoted Toronto since what the the forties probably. Uh, the old man uh, Brian and the Tunney family was very powerful and was integral in WWE doing business in Canada. Back in those days, you had to have a Canadian representative, some kind of Canadian company involved because of the regulations, and that's why that. They were very important. Also, Toronto, along with Chicago, probably consistently over the last hundred years, the biggest wrestling city in North America, and the Tunnies controlled that for a good part of the glory period. So that Jack Tunney was serving as WWF president at that point, and boy, he looked good in a suit. And you can tell, those fucking Tunnies were rolling in money. They were filthy rich. Anyway, the signs weren't an attitude era uh, innovation there. They they used to do it back then. Here comes Davy Boy, the Bulldog, at number one. At number and one. And this was this was uh, just ah. right. What was that? What? <laughs> that, that well, I, my God, there's uh, Destiny Jackie. Destiny Jackie. Uh, she used to valet for Dennis Coraluzzo. <laughs> That's right. Um, <laughs> But anyway, this was near the uh, the Wembley the uh, the Wembley match with Brett. Was this the same year? That was eight 92- months later. That's right. Eight months later at SummerSlam. So Davey was being used in a prominent position in the company at this point. And the man and who drew again, number two. Here we go. The drum roll playing. Uh oh, sensational Sherry with Ted DiBiase. Look at Sherry. She always looks so good. And again, the the pairing with Sherry with DiBiase or Sherry with anybody instantly, you know, there was so much to work with there because she was so great at ringside. Um, she had been with Savage but I was, before. Yeah, scary, scary Sherry. Well, she was Queen Sherry because he was the king at That's that right. point. In time. Blah, blah, blah. But in here we go. But the point is already first two guys in the ring not only have the size, the physique, but they're two of the all-time biggest names in the history of wrestling. It's not like they're, uh, you know, throwing out job guys, to be quite honest with you. And look at here as they kick it in. They want to get this thing started, and Teddy was so good. You know, just the the pace and the aggression. And I think <laughs> Davey at this point has got to be wondering, wait a minute, what the fuck's going on here? and he he decided he'd get up before teddy wanted him to so teddy's gonna put him right back in the same place god damn it and that little sideways fist drop teddy never had a physique but he was always in great cardio shape if that makes any sense which it does obviously but boy davy uh I wonder if Davey had heat. <laughs> they just started out and Ted's kicking the shit out of him. And, whoa, we're not going to be that quite, quite that easy about it. The referee's outside the ring. I see Hebner. Whoa, wait. And, the, well, there you go. Okay, I haven't watched this in 30 years, so there was the reason. Teddy beats the shit out of him. <laughs> Davey clotheslines DiBiase over the top rope in his first offensive move. And you may have been busy. This is January 92. You were getting Smoky Mountain up and running. Oh, I, I watched this when it happened. I haven't seen it since, to be honest with you. I mean, uh, you know, it's not like I wasn't watching the big shows, especially if Flair won the world title. 
I, I didn't buy this pay-per-view, but I got it on VHS tape shortly after it happened. And here comes Flair, number three. And he's, uh, as you mentioned, Bobby Heenan's on color. Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning, was, they originally wanted to put Bobby with Flair, but Bobby's neck, and he was already doing commentary, and he didn't want to travel full-time as manager on the road. So Bobby kicked it off, and then they handed him off to Kurt because Kurt would travel on the road, and, you know, Flair had tons of respect for Kurt. Kurt loved Flair, so that was a... uh that was a pairing that they could travel with. And they've slowed it down a little bit here because now Flair taking his robe off and doing his usual shit because since Teddy and Davey opened up fast, now they want to let the people get involved in this with Flair doing the whoo and et cetera. And I would think, would this be... Well, Flair's been there in the company for a while, but there weren't any Ric Flair bulldog matches that I can think of. This might be the first time that Flair had been in the ring with Davey Boy. Off the top of my head, I can't think of another match, no. And and look, okay, Flair was 235 legitimately there, and Davey's strength was just off the charts with what was that, three reps on the press slam. And now uh, Flair's trying to, you can see him calling it, and. I've got to think that, yeah, see, Davey was one step behind because he's not used to. Flair would do this. He'd just call shit on the spur of the moment. If you didn't hear it the first time, you were already running somewhere. You had to be with it to get everything. And every every once in a while with an opponent that wasn't used to this pace, they were a, a tad best step behind every once in a while. Ed Flair again doing his, uh, Davey doesn't, he's he's not used to working with Flair, so he doesn't know that Flair wants him to come in and get him so that he can, you know, fucking do something. And <laughs> I don't know what Rick was telling him to do, but it probably wasn't that. <laughs> Here comes Jimmy Hart with who is, is it's it, he's Jerry in the Sags. box. It's Sags, it's Sags there. He's in the box. I didn't have my glasses on. And now again, Flair said, give me the 10 punches. <laughs> you know, Flair had such a completely different style of working than most of the guys that had been involved in the WWF to that point. I'd have to think that he confused a number of people. Now here, Sags has been a part of uh, WWF for a couple of years. I'm sure that the Nasties and Davey had been involved quite a bit. But now you got two heels and one baby face. So they're going to rough him up a bit. And look, there's Hebner, one of the ringside reps I was about to say was Hebner. I think I saw Joey Morella. That's right. On the other side. There could be more. Boy, Sags looks like a goddamn Adonis compared to the way he fleshed out later on in his career, doesn't he? I forgot how big he was, too, how tall. Yeah, they were both big guys. Boom! And there's the. That's an old uh, Road Warrior spot that I'm sure Flair called for Davey, the double clothesline. And now, and boom, is is he going to hold on? Is he going to hold on? Yes, he did. And now Davey will take care of that. Boom. (laughs) (laughs) How about that landing? Yeah, well, he wanted to make sure that uh, nothing bad happened. And look, look at Flair. He's not even sweating yet. And that's the thing. His... He was made for a match like this because his cardio was ridiculous. We've mentioned 
anytime they had a doctor do the athletic commission physicals, Flair's resting heart rate was like 39, 40, 42, blood pressure. Everything he had was almost like a dead body. You couldn't. And here we go. Haku. And uh, cover your nose. I was about to say, Flair loves Haku as a as a man and a beast. And here he's about to get all over Davey. But again, we've gone through one of the Nasty Boys. They were a big name in the 90s. Haku is legendary. There's Nature Boy Ric Flair. There's the British Bulldog. There's Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase. And we're, what, five people into this thing. And everybody was different. Uh, and now Haku says, well, fuck it. I'm going to win this thing. Um, but everybody, and, and Flair putting over the the beast of the Samoan. You know, he can't hurt him, blah, blah, blah. So he's going to powder out. Everybody was different. Everybody had their own look, their own style of working, their own backstory. There was no similarities in, in anybody. They stood out, I guess is what I'm saying. That's why you can clearly tell people from this era in wrestling, whereas if you don't get a good look at some of the modern guys, you're confused. And now Rick being treacherous behind, by the way, great pile driver, nice of Davey to sell it. He's probably trying to get out of the way. Boom. Oh, beautiful. Again, this, yeah, this was Flair's chance to go through a variety of different people and do all his shit for the WWF audience that may not have got a chance to see it. And let's face it, the matches they did have in arenas. How long was that garden match between Flair and Hogan? Oh, 10 may- minutes? Did they go 12? Maybe 15 at most with the post-match. So, and, and with Hogan, Flair couldn't do a lot of his trademark shit, so this was a chance for him to do a variety of things with a variety of people. And by the way, the entrances back then are two minutes. What, they're, now they're a minute, right? Because they got to have the, oh boy! Almost had a bobble there, but Davey got Haku over. And next here, and here comes Shawn Michaels. Boy, the hits just keep on coming. And he had just turned heel, so he's a freshly turned Shawn Michaels, getting a first, getting his first, I should say, baby fa- baby face, getting his first push as a heel ever. Right, and really a first singles push for all intents and purposes. And boom, and now we're, and we see a preview of what WrestleMania from 15 years later. And you, you knew Michaels was excited to work with flair because he grew up idolizing him and boom, (laughs) Flair (laughs) caught that boot. He caught it with both hands is what he did. (laughs) Never noticed that before. He said, fuck my face. I'm catching that thing. And now Davey and Sean are used to working with each other. And a boom, boom, boom. So anyway, the two-minute intervals are what I was going for here. They're two-minute intervals back in those days. Now that they got a 30-women rumble, too, they have to shorten these things up and also the lack of talent. But now again, look, heel and heel, but it's every man for himself for the WWE Championship, and Flair has been portrayed, as we mentioned. He was the outsider when he came in with the outside belt until they had to digitize that due to the legal charges brought by TBS. And poor Davey needs some backup in this thing. He needs a friendly face. I, you know, I liked, yes, Michaels, he's still trying his stuff. 
He didn't go upside down and flip back in. He was going for the head into the post like Ray Stevens. He didn't quite get it the first time, but first time, but he's still developing his heel stuff at that point. And we do not have the order of participants past your memory, which is better than mine. But uh, Riggy Steamboat. No. No, isn't that ste- Oh, it's El Tito. Matador. Steamboat. Fuck. Arriba. Arriba. Okay. Well, I'm slightly disappointed now. It looked like Steamboat in his goddamn green dragon tights. No, right around but that time. But look at time, the fire with Tito Santana. Yeah, right around that same time, Tito went to Mexico and discovered his. Uh, either it, it was either his love of bullfighting, or he found out that he was a bullfighter in another life, or his ancestors were. <laughs> That's right, the Matador. Yes, El Matador. El Matador. But even, again, Tito Santana, well-remembered name in wrestling. This is an all-star lineup here. And poor Tito has to be the babyface to try to uh, help out the British Bulldog. And Tito's always, you know, he, after wrestling, I think a lot of people know he became a school teacher. He always had his wits about him, didn't have the bad habits, you know, didn't believe his own publicity. Tito has done well for himself and has stayed in what I understand is good health. Last time I heard anything about him. So good on him for that. There's the nuts. As soon as you can, (laughs) you can tell as soon as flair drops to his knees, he's going for a ball shot. And again, if this was today, all these guys would have already Drug in tables and ladders. They've got how long we we into this thing? We started watching it. What? Not even. What did we start at? What time code? Was it one twenty eight? One twenty eight ten. Okay, they're not fourteen minutes in, so they got forty five minutes to go. If this was today, they'd have already pulled ladders and chairs in. Somebody would have been paralyzed. Massive bumps, but it they're working, and the work looks good. If somebody punches somebody, they're selling it, et cetera, et cetera. Who's coming down? Well, there comes the barbarian. He doesn't. He doesn't look as mean as with the uh, the mohawk haircut, but nevertheless, this is when he also went back to his ancestral roots as a barbarian yes. dress. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's the barbarian. It's a kilt. You don't say dress to the barbarian. But yeah, he's beasted up. You know, one of the cool things about this rumble, and I understand why they don't do it, but it's one of the things I miss. No theme music. No one comes in with music. The buzzer goes off, people count, and then they pop or they don't pop. And you heard the people that they popped or didn't pop for. There there was no music to disguise that. And so, well, they... The people were happy. The music was just so loud. But anyway, they again, when the people hear the music, the music takes up quite a bit of the of the audience's attention when they should be focusing on the personalities in a situation like this. There was never entrance music until modern times, really modern times, for a battle royal. That's just ridiculous. Or run-ins. And we should mention that uh, the Royal Rumble came from, I think everybody knows, the mind of Pat Patterson, who was not only one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, but then became a fantastic booking mind, and he picked this up from San Francisco. When he and Stevens, Ray Stevens, were the 
best in-ring tag team in the business. They worked for Roy Shire in San Francisco. And then Patterson was so good that he followed the best worker in the business, Ray Stevens, as the top star in San Francisco for years, one of the great wrestling towns. The Battle Royal in San Francisco that Shire presented was his big drawing event of the year. And Pat remembered that and made the tweaks of every two minutes another person enters and et cetera, et cetera, to make what we know today. And here comes Kerry Von Erich. The Texas Tornado. Well, yeah. And again, you know, you mentioned before we did this, it's a kind of a who's who of some of Flair's greatest opponents and or partners. In this case, this is 1992. Flair and Kerry, eight years before that at the Texas Stadium match, had drawn 40,000 people to see Kerry beat Flair for the title. And you see, and here he goes, boom, you see a few seconds of the old fire. And uh, unfortunately, Kerry was working as we know, look at Michaels. He's trying to get him over. As we know at this point, Kerry was working with the handicap, so to speak, both literally and in a golfing term of missing a foot. And while Carrier there and, and Flair are busy doing their old stuff, there Michaels is inventing a bunch of his heel bumps and <laughs> poor Tito can't shoot the barbarian off because everybody's in the way. It's not a good idea to shoot people off at a battle royal, even if there's only five or six people in the ring. You know, I hadn't watched one of these matches with Michaels involved from this period in so long. You can see him starting to develop the trademark shit that he would do later on. Whereas, Ed, you see Flair doing the trademark shit he'd already developed. Everyone likes Shawn Michaels later on, but 92 and 93 Shawn Michaels and the 94, that's probably my favorite stuff. Well, because he was still young. He was trying hard to get over. He wasn't convinced that he was God's gift yet. He knew he had a chance and he was working hard to get over. And a lot of times when you invent some of this stuff, it looks better and or more real when you're first inventing it than when you're doing it because it's part of your catalog. And here comes poor Barry Darso, the Repo Man. And again, oh, man. I, I love this human being, but that's one of the worst gimmicks of all time. It just goes to show that even back the old wrestling still had some shit to it. Hey, give his him credit. Kid. As Khrushchev or as Demolition, Demolition Smash, he seemed gigantic. As Repo Man, he lo- he's trying to make himself half the size. Yeah, because he wants to sneak and not be seen. But no, Barry Darso was, as you mentioned, Crusher Khrushchev in the Russians. He was also a member of Demolition. So it's not like the talent was lacking, but they just, they, it's another one of these things they did to a guy with a goofy gimmick. But he's, he's creeping around like fucking Simon Bar Sinister. <laughs> I love to watch Michael sell, though, when he was really into it, not trying to do it clowny, but really the drunk stagger and the spit up in the air and the body flailing everywhere. See, this is the period for it because this is before he had any clout. He couldn't really do anything. So he's trying to win over Vince yes. to see him as a main eventer. Yeah, this was the war- where Sean was trying to prove he could be a main eventer rather than fucking assing off because he was a main eventer. 
And I'll tell, and, and that's another thing. Flair brought the chop to the WWF at that time. Can you remember? Was anybody else chopping? Two guys, and it was the underrated feud of my first year as a WWF fan: Ron Garvin and Greg Valentine. And Greg Valentine, yeah. <laughs> so, so a lot of these guys are probably like, "God damn it!" Hey, let's hear one of these not get hit. Okay. Well, there you go. Okay, Greg the Hammer Valentine, Flair and Valentine were the NWA World Tag Team Champions for Crockett in the late 70s. They were one of the highest paid tag teams in the in the country at that time. And they're pretty inextricably linked with each other in Carolinas. Now here on opposite sides, they immediately go after each other. And now we're going to fucking hear some chops. Well, you'll hear them if you're watching this with the audio up, or not if you're listening to us. Flair leans into it when he gets it. Yeah, and <laughs> he, I think he realized he'd done three face firsts already, so he just went to his knees on that one. But that's, again, that's a flare will lean into him because he wants them, see? And so now you've got Ric Flair in the ring with uh, Greg Valentine, who he was partners with in the 70s, Shawn Michaels, who he'd have his retirement match with 15 years after this. Also... Kerry Von Erich, that he set the all-time, at that point, all-time attendance gate record with at, at the Texas Stadium match. There's a lot of, what do the kids call them these days, callbacks and Easter eggs kind of thing in this match. That's one of the cool things about this match. And again, this match has, to me, stood the test of time. And uh, Michaels was trying to he was trying to take another kind of bump to get tied up in the ropes over there. And I don't think a lot of times it, this was again, before Michaels had established his shit. And I don't know that everybody knew what he was trying to do right off the bat. Whereas you could identify it later on. And they're trying to, and here we go for 10 seconds more. We're going to say, and see the people are, are starting to get into this. You don't need to do all the chaos at the start of the match because now this is where, oh my God, Nikolai Volkov. I love Nikolai. This may have been when he was on the later years of his career, but what a yes, fucking guy. He had turned babyface. But look at that. He's 330 pounds and he jumps over the top rope and he's in his 50s. He's in his early 50s here. He always stayed in great physical condition. It's just that his his era had passed by at this point. It was one of the God, I'll tell you what. Jeez. Ten years earlier in Mid-South Wrestling, not only was he still pretty fearsome on those house show matches when he really had some time to do his shit, but also he boxed in his younger days. And of all the people in that ring, the person right now, the person that could knock you out the quickest with one punch would be Nikolai Volkov. Huh. He never got to show that, but it was amazing. It, 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 no, no Cajun Mark in Louisiana stood a chance against that motherfucker. They would come after him with chairs. He wouldn't back up. The fans I'm talking about. It, and it's great. There's Darso and Nikolai. Darso was the Russian sympathizer that was first <laughs> taken under his wing, under Nikolai's wing in Mid-South, and then later on became Crusher Khrushchev and. Florida and for and there goes Nikolai, courtesy of Darso. And that's the in true Florida end of the feud. Florida and then for Crockett. Yeah, this is the true end of the feud right there. <laughs> there you go. They finally settled things. 
and, and Darso's still creeping around. He never stands up straight, so you don't realize he's a yeah. giant guy. <laughs> and now Carrie, <laughs> Carrie's like, what should I do from here? Flair and Valentine are still having fun. Flair and Valentine were making so much money as the world tag team champions working for Crockett that they started renting limousines to go to the shows just to get a write-off. And here we go with the next entrant, Boss Man! Has he got his nightstick? Does he have his handcuffs? No, he does not. What a travesty. If this big country bunker would walk away the way. Look at the Boss Man! And look at the punches to everybody. Bubba had, had been there for five years, but remember Flair was instrumental in his early development because even though Dusty picked him to be Big Bubba Rogers and pushed him, Bubba was sitting in a locker room with the Midnight and the Horseman. He learned a lot of shit from all those guys. And boom, again, Michael's just taking his wild-ass bumps wherever he can find him. But I love, Bubba always had such fire when he'd come out and moved like that. Remember again, six foot, what was he, five or six, I think, legitimately. We said Bubba was six foot eight and over 300 pounds at that point. And he could still move that quick and had that, that fire and that cardio. Have you noticed that nobody's doing the goddamn flips off the top rope and hurricane ranas and things of that nature, but everybody's kicks and strikes and selling things looks so much more legitimate than what you're going to see today because that's what they're concentrating on. Shit people would actually really do. You know what? Having one guy do Sean's stuff in this match stands out a whole lot more than having everyone do that stuff. Yeah. That's the point. There goes Davey. Good run. Uh, good run. Good run there, but time to go. And now Flair's back at uh, at Carey, and boom, and he goes over. But only one foot touched the ground. Carey should still be involved in this match. <laughs> so you're not going to put that over you're, at you're all. You're mean. That's mean. All right. <laughs> Ten seconds away or less from... Uh, as Big Bubba is st still running roughshod, but no, there goes Tito and Michaels. Tito eliminated Michaels. I can't believe that. Now, wait a minute. Is that Hercules? Hercules. Oh, my. Hercules Hernandez. My God. Look at the size of him. He's massive there. And he can't move. Look. And he's lost a lot of hair. I'm going to tell you, again, in 1984, when Hercules Hernandez was probably 40 pounds lighter. He was still completely etched. He had like 5% body fat, but his waist was probably 12 inches smaller than it is now. He could take, he could do the flying clotheslines. He could take backdrops, the bumps, and he just don't give a shit about barb and flair. He's doing his thing. Um, Hercules was, he, he was an incredible athlete and the, as fast as he could move and as high as he could jump. And steroids, bad personal habits, and a just a rough personal life. Um, he looks, unfortunately, 15 years older here than he did eight years before to me. And there's a bunch of shit that happened at one time, and everybody's out of there except, whoa, the boss man and the nature boy. But I loved Hercules Hernandez. What a nice genuinely nice guy he was he just he had a lot of trouble boom i like 
Bubba always hit the ropes in his own way. I know that was awkward and different, but that's the way he did it. And those fucking flying feet and that punch. That's a thing. Bubba came to me one time and said, what about, I'm wrestling Vernon Deaton today on TBS. What about if I just, oh my God, what a bump. And there he goes. Yeah, he, he, he taught himself how to take those so he could take them, but nobody else could take it like that. We're going to play some audio in a second because this is one of the highlights of Bobby Heenan's night. And this is one of the highlights. As a fan, this was one of the highlights of the whole match for me. Let's go to this. Okay, because we're under 10, and who could be coming? Sucking, trying to get that oxygen in that body. And here comes Roddy. Oh, no. Of all the people, anyone but Piper. It's Piper. (laughs) Piper could be done. This isn't for the flip. Of all the things it's I the said before, champion. And obviously Piper's super over. And look at the listen to the people and they're screaming and the babies and look at the fire and the knee lift and the bump and the punch. And again, Roddy had a style completely different than anybody else. And he would come in with that fire and that passion. And look at the people. You can see the fans fucking reacting. Old, young, male, female, whatever. And also Flair and Piper. How much history? They had the legendary rivalry. They were best friends in real life. They partnered in the Carolinas when when Flair had to go to, where was it, Guatemala or wherever the fuck and nearly get shot by the militia uh, against uh, Veneno. He took Piper there to take care of it. And look at this simple shit. And it's bing, bing, bing. Block the fucking deal. Piper with the eye poke, the clotheslines, the bumps. It's everything people want to see. And they know exactly what they're fucking doing. And they're best friends. And they're best friends. And Piper is one of the two most over, at this point, WWF wrestlers in history, along with Hogan. So him... Working even and doing this back and forth with Flair, obviously, instantly makes anybody who's just been a WWF aficionado all this time and didn't know Flair, he's important because he's in there with Piper and they're going at it. And now it's a perfect place, but the culmination of this is Piper gets the fucking sleeper and it looks like Flair's out, but somebody else is going to come in and break his fucking party up and guess who it is. The incomparable Jake the Snake Robert. Watch out, Is that the he fastest is. he's moved in a long time? And he's smiling. Yeah, okay. I'll jog down. You guys continue. Because that's what the snake would do. And now Piper's go, okay, I got to hang on to Flair, but if I turn my back on Jake, which he just did. And Jake was still in reasonably good condition. This was barely two years before he would win the. Smoky Mountain Heavyweight Championship and then become comfortably numb and disappear on me. And lose his he hair. Was, and, and lose his hair. He was still in reasonably good shape there. And obviously, again, we have gone through how many Hall of Famers in this match so far? Roddy Piper, Jake the Snake Roberts, Nature Boy Ric Flair, the British Bulldog, Shawn Michaels. I'm uh, uh, Big Boss Man's not in the Hall of Fame yet, but by God, these names. Up and down the card, everybody was established. Everybody was over. Everybody had their own deal, their own gimmick, their own personality. 
Hey, listen to and this. now it's almost a yeah. DDT. I never thought I'd say this, but thank you, Roddy. It's a kill. It's not a skirt. It's a kill. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they keep listening. I'll take the snake. And look at Roddy. He's giving it to both of them. Well, you no good freak. You skirt wearing freak. <laughs> <laughs> What a change of opinion in the twinkling of an eye. But again, look look at this. Now, here's three people, two two heels and one baby face, but all three of them are fighting, and it looks good, and there's a reason for it. And boy, they're keeping the people up. And now they're now by now halfway through the match, they're standing to see who's going to come out next. They're building the match, and there comes Duggan. And again. Not only is he massively over, but who's like Hacksaw Duggan? Nobody. Instantly recognizable, got his own fucking personality and his own thing. And here he come. And Duggan has incredible history with Jake from Mid-South Wrestling. And as well, uh, again, Flair and Piper. So now you've got the Carolinas guys against two of the biggest guys to ever uh, star in the Mid-South Wrestling territory. This is a who's who of the you know the greatest territory names. It's one of the reasons this rumble stands out is just the names that are here. Like you said, it's almost like a mid-south reunion in some respects, and then it's almost like a reunion of Flair's greatest opponents and rivals. It's yeah, at one point it's a little mini Crockett promotions reunion. And boy, look at the size of Duggan's fists, and look how fast Roddy throws his. And if you slow-mo that, they're coming within a twat hair, as people used to say, of each other's faces and chins and everybody's selling it, but nobody's fucking getting hurt. Because they concentrated more on what this is supposed to be about, which is a fight and a conflict and less on acrobatic moves that they could uh, cooperate with each other to perpetrate. Yeah, I mean, basically, if you look at these guys, which one of these guys would be able to wrestle like this if they went through the WWE developmental system right now? Nobody. Roddy Piper had a unique style, which was awkward and weird and perfect. Yeah. And Flair took all his bumps wrong because of his broken back and had a weird style. And Duggan, you know, he was a hell of a hoss and an athlete. I don't know if he could do the drills. And Jake would have never passed the drug tests. So here we go. And we got a couple of seconds. And... Who's coming up next? And boy, I love the expensive entrance way. Okay, IRS, not with a lot of fire. <laughs> it's apparently not April 15th. He's not in a hurry. Our dear old friend, Mike Rotunda, who was a hell of an amateur at Syracuse and could stretch probably anybody in the ring, but I I know everybody remembers IRS. I liked Mike Rotunda as a member of the Varsity Club with That's Steiner and Kevin Sullivan a lot better than the another occupation gimmick. At least this wasn't a plumber. He was a white collar fucking occupation wrestler. But nevertheless, Captain Mike Rotunda was fantastic, and the Varsity Club were one of the highlights of '88 NWA. They were so good. Yeah, because everybody fit and played off each other so well. But nevertheless, but- back to live action here. But on the other hand, for fans, this was better than him being a yacht captain or whatever he became yeah. after. <laughs> and the double head bonk. Boom. Remember, he used the romantics. That's what I like about you. I don't know. 
I did not remember that. To the fucking, yeah, the Romantics <laughs> were great fans of ours. We loved them. They're, you know, they used to take us out when we go to Detroit, but I don't know how that related to a seafaring ditty. But nevertheless, Flair's been in here now for about uh, 35 minutes or going on 40. And this thing flies, it doesn't seem like it's that long because it keeps moving and everybody involved is people that you know or that you view as some type of star. And they've kept things going pretty well. And Piper and Flair are still being involved. Anytime you can get that is a, is a plus. And we're going to go for another entrance. I should have got you to get me the order of entrance so I could be clued in ahead of time. But hey, we're seeing this like fans for the first time. And Snuka! I forgot about Snuka still being there. So now you've got the previous, the most popular wrestler in the WWF of the previous generation, right before Hulk Hogan. And he's got Snuka and Piper. The, the coconut, the Piper's Pit, or you go back to Flair and Snuka in the Carolinas, Snuka and Piper in the Carolinas. All these guys had multiple money-drawing situations in a variety of territories. Unfortunately, Jimmy's on his last legs here as far as his full-time career, and it's slowed down to the point where, you know, he's making an appearance, but it's still super fly Jimmy fucking Snuka. This match is kind of the end of the era for a lot of guys. Kerry Von Erich, for a lot of reasons, would not last too much longer in WWF. Greg Valentine would leave shortly after this, go to WCW. Snuka wouldn't last too much longer. There's a bunch of guys on this pay-per-view and in this match that, you know, things would change pretty soon. Jake Roberts leaves after WrestleMania. This was, uh, well, in large part, this was one of the last years that Vince was stocked completely full from top to bottom with people that, look at the, bam, bam, did Piper and Flair. Just, you can buy into that. You can believe there's some animosity. Uh, but this was one of the last years that Vince was still completely stocked with guys that he had stolen from the territories. And yeah. within the next couple of years, young guys, either from the new independence or, you know, that uh, had just been found and trained quickly would start taking the place of these guys. And I know the steroid trial came into it, but is there a correlation between all the old guard names leaving in the early 90s and the others in the late 90s and the business slump in the middle? Here we go. Ha ha! Listen to the crowd. This match for you. Sorry to cut you off there with the audio. I thought that was good audio. Well, that's okay. Well, and that here's the thing. Also, look at the Taker because this is first full year, right? Taker looks nothing like he would look. They're they are into him. He was over from the start. He's not iconic yet. But that's what I was saying. You're losing the Pipers and the Snookas and the the Robertses and the ter and the Duggins and the territory guys that had drawn money for years and look at Taker now is just going to be a, a beast. And it was a couple of years before these new guys like the brand new Undertaker and the brand new heel Shawn Michaels that would really come into their own. Did that have anything to do with the slump in business in the mid-90s as well as the 
steroid uh, early to mid 90s the steroid trial and the crummy cartoony booking of 95 ish they lost a lot of ta- experienced talent and replaced it with guys that hadn't been in positions like that before in a lot of cases takes time to make stars it takes time for stars to learn how to be stars but again like, <laughs> this is my favorite Martin, undertaker those, those gloves had to bug him at first and you can tell he's always fiddling with them but uh because it was an, an unnatural thing to wrestle in gloves but piper again with the eye poke is the greatest offensive weapon in in piper's arsenal and it always works mjf yeah, does it look, now yeah there you go and now look there undertaker not selling everybody heels and baby faces alike trying to team up on this fucking creature There you go. Now that's the opposite. He's looking for Jake. He's got back a baseball injury. Looking for Jake the Snake, who had, of course, attacked uh, Macho Man's wife. That's right. Uh, Jake had attacked Elizabeth. Uh, Savage wanted to get to him. Jake bailed out, and then Undertaker stops Savage from behind. But the intensity that Savage shows doing that full hundred yard dash, you know, he wanted to get in there and fucking. And now Jake, when he's down, Jake is going to take advantage. They, they were. They, that's another thing. They could still tell their stories. Up, oh, duck the short clothesline, and boom. And now Savage is all over his guy. They could still tell their individual stories in this match with the people that they were programmed with or were rivals with or whatever. And, and you can tell Savage is wanting to get all the shit in here that he can quickly. Oof. And boom. And now he eliminates himself to go after because he's lost his mind. He just wants to kill Jake the Snake. He didn't even realize what he did. He jumped over the top rope. And now, and did Undertaker had some early interaction with Jake, did he not? Yeah, remember, they were going towards Jake and the Ultimate Warrior, and then Warrior got fired, and it went to Jake and the Undertaker crash the wedding party for Randy and Elizabeth. That's right. And that started things, and then they were aligned until The Undertaker stopped. I believe The Undertaker stopped Jake from hitting Elizabeth. Maybe it was Randy, but I think it was Elizabeth with the chair. And then they had their WrestleMania match, and he beat Jake. And that was the last we saw Jake. So the point is, that's why The Undertaker is coming to the aid of Jake the Snake here, because at this point in time, they were somewhat aligned. And he's trying to keep Savage from killing Jake. But now they've... He's thrown Savage back in, but Savage is eliminated, right? Sometimes you need the commentary. Let's see what they say. Blair and Piper are still on it. Hot Rod just inching him up higher and higher on that top turnbuckle. Look at the Undertaker. Just the whites of his eyes. That's the place to be down on the canvas. In a Royal Rumble, you got to try to stay on your... Well, nothing said there about Randy Savage coming back to the Royal Rumble, but I guess they're saying because he eliminated himself, it doesn't count. Well, that's different than they would say later <laughs> on. <so. laughs> Remember, we've seen guys eliminate themselves, so they changed their minds. The Undertaker looks. But so it would have been a good spot. The Undertaker looks so much cooler before they made him go from gray to purple. 
Yeah, the the uh, the the purple was a little a little too cosmetically pleasing. Look that shot right to Savage's face. Flair back then. They later on he started to rely on him and and he didn't have all the range that he needed. But those early punches straight to the face, you could barely fucking <laughs> see any daylight. And Taker just selling that nut shot like I'm not sure whether I should. Bend <laughs> he doesn't sell it at all. He does. Yeah, he's like I do. I guess Taker has has no balls, or the, his balls are dead. Here comes the Berserker. Speaking of dead balls, by the time Fuji gets the ring as manager, it'll be fucking Royal Rumble 2024. It was earlier this same year where it seemed like they were setting up the Berserker for a big feud with The Undertaker when he tried to stab The Undertaker with his sword. Yes. And it went through <laughs> the ring, and then shortly thereafter, that feud never happened. Yeah, I think they thought better of it. Nord was, he was a gimmick, all right. But uh, I don't know if we're going to remember the pantheon of classic matches he had. Uh, and he had Flair and Savage here. And again, who would have thought in 1983, Ric Flair was the NWA World Heavyweight Champion and Randy Savage was working for his father's outlaw company, sleeping in an apartment on New Circle Road in Lexington, Kentucky with a mattress with no furniture. And boy, they're fucking paths took obviously twists and turns from there i hate that outfit on randy not just this one but for the few years where he was uh less physically imposing i guess when he went yes. to full body suit i always hated that look that's i heard that the, he had lost the size because he was trying to get elizabeth pregnant there's a photo and of the Pafos with buddy rogers on a beach it has to be from during that period of time because randy savage looks really tiny yeah, he, he looks smaller than Angelo and Buddy Rogers, who at that point was in his 60s, I think. 70s. At that point? Yeah, in 92. Well, yeah, I guess he was. Son of a gun. Anyway, back to the match here. Um, poor Taker and uh, a Piper on top of Flair. Who's coming next? We're going to get another entry here. Let's take a look. Virgil! Fresh and hungry! Or is he a- Fresh and hungry. <laughs> he needs some meat sauce. And folks, again, we do remind you that yes, there was underneath guys on the Ross, but even Virgil at this point was figured in because he had had the big deal where he he yeah. was the manservant of DiBiase and then DiBiase had turned on him and he was a baby face. So even people even knew who Virgil was at this point in time. No, he was a he was pretty over for a while. He beat DiBiase for the million dollar belt. He was aligned with Piper, so they tried with Virgil. It just they didn't, tried. It didn't necessarily work out. I mean, they also had him dressed in I don't know his barbershop quartet pants. Yeah, <laughs> they they should have taken him to the Olive Garden. Oh, uh, and it again, it's so odd seeing a younger, more human looking Undertaker after all this time. Now we forgot, but that's. The way it started, everybody, sooner or later, you know, they change and they evolve. But anyway, I, the best thing that Mark could do early on in those days was roll his eyes back. That was always spooky. Even the guys in the ring with him were like, oh, shit, that don't look right. And now this is traditionally the, the part of the rumble where we're getting a little slow. 
We got some things going on. There's some people in there, but we're slowing it down a little bit because we've got about another 20 or 25 minutes of this thing, and we need to give the people a little breath and some shit will take place. Pat used to put the lulls as well as the hills and the valleys as you know, a little bit of everything in these matches. Let's hear who's next. Virgil, see the light. Now they turn on each other. Here's the countdown. We've got another one just about to emerge. Oh. <laughs> this guy's dangerous. Mustafa. And not leading the way down. The Iron Chief when he became Colonel Mustafa. Why are they doing the bushwhacker walk, though? What did the poor bushwhackers ever do to support Iran and Iraq? Um, yeah, Adnan Casey was was the manager of the Iron Sheik, who, because of the time period, had switched his Middle Eastern countries. And yeah, you know, it wasn't all sunshine, lollipops, rainbows, and waterfalls back then, even in the old days, folks. Did the Berserker almost kill Virgil with a pile driver just there, right off? <laughs> Off camera, he just looked like he just kind of sat down and fell on Virgil's head. And we see Mustafa and Duggan settling their turnpike battle once and for all here yeah. in the ring. <laughs> and this was, uh, okay, the, the WrestleMania 91 was the ill-fated Los Angeles Coliseum. We moved to the sports arena because we couldn't fill the fucking stadium with the Sergeant Slaughter heel turn and Colonel Mustafa and etc. Yeah, what a and what a jib shot sweeping the crowd. But they would have been working out. Sheik and Adnan Casey would have been working out here the year that they were signed to, basically, right? Because they were shortly afterwards they'd be gone. That's right. And uh, sometimes, oh well, it worked in rehearsal, is what they were saying about that Gulf War angle. You know, this is before you would have thought that they would have had Undertaker come in and do the kind of like the diesel Kevin Nash, the big man spot where he eliminated several people and made a big impact. And then it was short lived get him out of it in a graceful way. But they they put him in here for a while. And here comes who's that? I'm trying to see the model. Martell. Rick Martell. Ricky Martell, baby. Ricky Martell going to come in all good looking and smelling nice with the perfume. What was his perfume's name, the model Rick Martell? Arrogance. Arrogance. In the flit gun that he had. Do you think it would be tough to convince someone like you if you were booking him to let him turn heel, considering what a great fired-up babyface he was? No, because actually I stole some of this in OVW back in 2004 for Mark Magnus. And look at those punches, by the way. Martell was a hell of a worker. Uh, Mark Magnus had started out as an underneath babyface as we worked him up the card. He His body was in better shape, and he was looking good, and his work was improving. So I switched him heel and aligned him with Nikita and some of the guys that had been involved in, in the Revolution group, and he became this year's model, Mark Magnus, because he was so good-looking. It is a play on words. Was it like the model Rick Martell? Or was it like he was saying he was this year's model because he was the new wrestler of the future? And that was something that he could at least hang his hat on a little bit. It was kind of an homage in part to the model Rick Martell. And then, of course, they made him. He was Italian, by the way, from upstate New York. They made him a terrorist. 
He beheaded one of the job guys uh, on SmackDown with piano wire and was never heard from again because that was the same time as that terrorist attack in London and the network canceled Mark Magnus's wrestling career. That's one of the parts of the story. Muhammad Hassan. I don't know if people realize that, the fact that he wasn't from the Middle East. He was an Italian guy. Yeah, he was fucking Italian, but he was so dark-complected that he looked Middle Eastern when they were going for a heel from the Middle East because of terrorism, and then Fox Fox Network canceled. Here we go. Well, there it is. Scientific wrestling, eye scratches, (laughs) eye rakes, (laughs) double head bonks. Uh, Hogan was a house of fire. And this... uh, we're we're getting down to again the people are going crazy there in Albany, New York. We're starting to get down to nut cutting time here. But this is then the part where everybody gangs up on Hogan, which I'm sure is a spot that Hogan uh called for and encouraged because that shows that he's the big threat. But at the same time, again, poor Undertaker is like confused as to how much he should sell for a variety pan. There we go. Boom. And lands on his feet. Then rolls his eyes back, but... Doesn't look weak at all. Didn't look weak, but didn't win the thing. And then there goes the berserker, and he looks weak. And now the t-shirt gets torn off. Hogan had won look the at previous the flash two. Bulbs. Hogan won the previous two Royal Rumbles. That's right. So he's the, the favorite going into this to begin with. And again, every time he does something, you see the flash bulbs. At that period of time, you know, it it, it was... It was, what, about a year, a year and a half till Vince would suggest that he... <laughs> he leave the premises like Felix Unger and his ex-wife never to return. Uh, Hogan was on the downhill slide. This thing with Flair didn't help because a lot of people wanted to see that. And there was resentment with Hogan from some of the smart fans. And then he'd just been there nine interrupt, uninterrupted years by the next year. And it wasn't working anymore. Skinner and, has entered uh, the fray. Poor Steve Kern. Again, I remind everybody they weren't all winners. Um, because Steve Kern was from Florida legitimately and did go out every so often hunting for alligators. Somehow he went from a fucking bleach blonde pretty boy in one of the hottest tag teams of the 80s to a fucking alligator hunter wearing flannel and dipping snuff. He was managed a year earlier in the fabulous ones by you. Yes. One year yes, earlier. Yes, he was. <laughs> yes. Ah, don't blame me for any of this now. Um, well, it was what it was. What can I say? <laughs> you yeah. can't say anything. It sounds like. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, again, the fabulous ones for Vern and in Memphis who were revolutionary. What a fucking team. But they wouldn't have understood it in the WWF anyway. Uh, there was no Jackie Fargo. He was the key to the whole thing. Nevertheless, Kern's all over Hogan, by God. He's, look, he's biting him. He's saying, yeah, we should have never told you you ought to get in a business down there. And, you know, we've talked about how long Flair was in this, but how long has Piper been in this thing? Oh, he's he spent some while. time. He was number 15. He's been in there a while. 
What's is it? <laughs> look at Martell when he was getting the the ear massage from Piper's ankles. And again, just the, you know what? You look at Piper and Flair, they stand and they trade the same way that Piper and Valentine did. It's that that Crockett Carolinas guys that they were just so used to just Wahoo and Valentine traded like that. That's the same way they did. They stood there and just hit each other as hard as they could. And we're about to get another entrant as Hogan's got to be up. Hogan's got to be in charge of this thing as we get a new entrant because it's Sergeant Slaughter. Okay, another Hall of Famer. And Slaughter was the one of the top heels uh, at the time that um, Snuka was the most popular babyface, and then Slaughter switched babyface and was right briefly right before Hulk Hogan was the most popular guy in the WWF, legendary name. So we've we've had Hogan, Piper, Flair, Slaughter. The the names are insane. This is a Hall of Fame Royal Rumble with Skinner. Hogan even tried to trade with Piper. And Piper said, fuck you, I'll just rake your eyes. Piper's been on the eye machine at the gym. Slaughter had a long run in the Carolinas as one of the biggest drawing heels and baby faces uh, in that territory. So he had known Flair for years at that point. And Savage put some time in on this one too, didn't he? Yeah. Number 21. Yeah. Rick Martell hanging. And that's another, the guys in the battle Royals. Now they have to do the spots where they fight on the apron when they're not holding on to anything. Obviously somebody's going to get knocked off. The guys in the battle Royals at this point in time, every time you try to put them over, they're holding onto the ropes like spider monkeys for dear life. Cause that the worst thing in the world would be knock be knocked off the apron. They're not opening themselves up because they've got a cool spot on the apron to do that requires them to not hang on. Hogan's already blowing up. His punches have about half the steam they did before. And here he comes, the big man. Psycho Sid. He was Sid Justice at this point, was Sid he not? Sid Justice, that's right. Couldn't he be went Sid from vicious. vicious to justice. And, <laughs> and boy, howdy. he get, he could lift his foot and he could throw that shit. He just couldn't ever quite make the connection without killing somebody. But Sid looked like a million dollars and the people went crazy for him in those days because who else looked like that? And he had the fire and the the facials and the, ah, his, his work was always mostly crummy, but when you look like that, you can get by with a lot. And, you know, he was his own worst enemy. Vince made more money with him than WCW did. WCW never got much out of him. Vince could control him better and keep him away from his worst instincts. But when softball season was calling, even Vince McMahon and the WWF was not immune. Remember, I told you a story about in 97, he left the building in San Antonio in the middle of Raw because he told Harvey Whippleman he thought he was having a heart attack. So Harvey took him to the Holiday Inn, to his room, instead of a hospital. 
He just, he'd been off hurt and he hadn't been working out and he didn't think he looked good enough to be on television. So he just left in the middle of the show. He's a fucking wacko. Goddamn million dollar fucking body. And, and Flair has had a long history with Sid because Flair uh, is, was among the many bookers that tried to get something out of Sid in WCW. So he knew the, the positives and the negatives. And just now in one ring, you've got Randy Savage, Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan, Sid Vicious, Sergeant Slaughter, Roddy Piper. And our final entrant. Here he comes, running down the aisle. <laughs> he ain't running. <laughs> he ain't running. And poor Warlord becomes, is, was this 30? This was 30 guys, right? 30 so guys. That, yeah. And by the way, for anybody who hadn't seen downtown Bruno, Harvey Whippleman, Bruno Lauer in a while, does the young rock actor look anything like Harvey Whippleman really does? Harvey's never been that clean and jacked up. Bless him. I love Bruno. And that, that was the thing in the old days, and now Warlord slides in, and what is there for him to do? But in those days, the, the manager would just walk the guy down to the ring and then turn around and leave. I did that one time with Pritchard and Del Rey. Just go, come halfway down the aisle and point, and then go back. I'm like, what the fuck? That wasn't any fun. Anyway, we're getting a little more. Oh, Slaughter took his bump there. Bam! And that's from a guy that's what? Going on fifty years old at that point in time at that size. That was that was he wasn't was, going on fifty yet. I wouldn't say but that. But he's in his forties. Yes. Um uh, the trademark big show bump that a lot of the main event guys used to have, that was Slaughter's. That's what I've talked about. And he would pull that out, you know, when he was in a big show and needed a bump. And all the guys used to have that at you know, before it just became do everything you ever have seen or know in every match. And Flair going to the eyes. Flair and Piper may have, have contributed more to the success of the ophthalmology industry than anybody else in wrestling. And look, Piper's got Rotunda's tie trying to pull him over. I'm not sure how wise that was, given the finish, but it worked. Piper liked it, at least. Flair's still begging from Hogan. Sid's wandering around lost. Savage is like, somebody get this fucking warlord off me. He's too stiff. Hogan is not <laughs> stiff. We don't have to worry about that. That's what I've, when, when you get a guy over and they and they just got warlord over. When a guy gets over, the people cannot see through his work. When they don't give a shit about a guy, they pick it apart incessantly. Whether it be Steve Austin's mud hole stomps or Hulk Hogan's ridiculous phony fucking punches or whatever he did if you get to the point where you're over they won't see it and there goes there goes piper and martell courtesy of sid we're getting down to the meat of the matter the final four and remember and the final four sid vicious hulk hogan randy savage and rick flair that ain't a bad final four in terms of star power and marquee value and remember everybody's thinking that they're still pointing toward Hogan and Flair. And now Flair with the knee, uh, Savage gets dropped by Sid, and now you would think, well, if they're going toward Hogan and Flair, then the extraneous guy in this 
situation is Sid. Boom, the upside down, and he got stuck. And I'll tell you another thing. I blame the fucking ropes instead of cables every time somebody goes from anywhere else in wrestling because Flair was still young enough then. And Sid eliminates Hogan from behind. Legally. The fans pop. When WWF replayed this on TV, they changed that to booze. Yes, they had to salt booze in because Sid did it legally. And now they're jawing and Hogan's pissed off. There was no, there was no fuck in that. So now Hogan is like, no, you can't go. You can't go. And Hogan allows the heel flare to dump the fucking other. Yeah. So suddenly we've got a change in direction. And now the focus goes to Hulk and Sid coming out of that, going to WrestleMania and, Ric Flair is the WWF world champion. He's just won it, and he's just won the Royal Rumble. But the way that they worked it, I wonder how this could have happened. The attention was on Hulk Hogan and his giant monster challenger for WrestleMania rather than the new champion. And again, Hogan didn't look good in that exchange. There was nothing that would make you want to cheer him for what he just did to Sid. So as you mentioned when we started, there goes Jackie again. When you mentioned when we started talking about this, this was kind of the start over the next year and a half. The WWF fans were less enamored of Hulk Hogan than they had been to the point where finally summer of 93 or King of the Ring, he's he's out of there taking a break. And the Yokozuna and Bret Hart and those guys come in now. And here's the, the pull apart with the minions. Rene Goulet and the blonde hair. There's... Pat's got his back to the camera. It was that Jerry Briscoe that just walked by. That's there's Pat. Dave Hebner. Dave Hebner. Tony Gurria right there. Goddamn their their roster of agents was big names in the wrestling world compared to some of the people in, in the company today. Hogan's asking for the people. The people are up, but they're not necessarily all the way on his side. And again, this was the same thing that Vince did in 97. Undertaker and Sid, he went back to Giants. He wasn't, he, he didn't get flair, I don't think. And, I, and honestly, uh, you know, as we've talked about, Flair didn't transfer to the WWF as well as he would have anywhere else in wrestling and as he had been in WCW because, the, again, the work was less important. The Hogan's eight-minute title matches. You know, it, 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 was, it was a company built on sizzle and not steak, and Flair was the ultimate New York Strip. That's Terry Garvin in there too, by the way. The I dumpy thought, guy in the yeah. Uh, yeah. I thought it was dumpy. Dave Hebner from behind. It was it no. wasn't. Yeah. Well, D- D- Dave's one of the referees still, but because uh, I think both the Hebners are there, aren't they? Yeah. No, yeah. Dave's wearing a tie and the other Hebner, but the the used car salesman jacket and the dumpy guy. That's Terry Garvin, right there on the leaning on the ropes. Point I'm making is Flair. Flair's style, in ring style, was more suited to the NWA and athletic pro wrestling rather than the WWF giant sell the sizzle and not the steak kind of thing. And that's why Vince, I don't think, ever got him and and fully 
took advantage of it. He would have had to change the style of a lot of the WWF in ring and the way it was presented just for one guy. So Flair always was more at home and did better in the WCW slash NWA environment. But it's it's not because of, you know, Bruce Pritchard will tell you, oh, the, our fans just didn't get into Flair. Well, it's because it was a completely different thing. They didn't take the time to educate them. And we did get in the Flair. I was in the Flair. Well, but, but I mean, just the strict WWF fans that saw, thought Doink the Clown was a big major main event wrestling star, right? That kind of the ice cream bar fan, I guess. But anyway, therein lies the tale of the Royal Rumble 92, Brian. That's right. Royal Rumble 92. I still contend the best Royal Rumble of all time. And do you think that they're going to have as many Hall of Famers in the 2023 Royal Rumble as they did in the 1992 Royal Rumble? You know, you have a Royal Rumble like this, and then there was the one a few years later, maybe it was 97 or 98, where you had four members of the DOA and four members of Los Bariquas, and you had four members of, I forget what the other gang, of the Nation of Dominate. Like, there were so many factions that it didn't feel special, where you have, like, one-offs, or even tag team wrestlers individually run out there and interact with other guys they wouldn't normally interact with or do something interesting. I think it's more like the, uh, the one from the late nineties than this one. Well, we will find out, but anyway, that's the, uh, experience for today. We're going to be coming up in a few days with the drive through. That's your program, Brian, where we will try to catch up with, uh, well, obviously we will catch up with the big raw 30th anniversary, as well as the viewer questions and, songs and hijinks and, and hijinks hijinks and shenanigans and then next weekend we're going to talk about the rumble itself so we will be a, a, a half a day if not a day late next weekend on the experience just to wait for the big show correct i believe so otherwise do you have any closing thoughts for the listeners before i go and fry me some chicken no, everyone have a good week. We'll see you on the drive-thru with more fun and shenanigans and less uh, everything else. And until then, thank you, fuck you, and bye-bye, everybody. Wednesday nights I get to stay up late Which Kenny Omega while I masturbate Hey, Mom, I need to watch the show Meltzer says I'm in the key demo Meltzer says I'm in the key demo
Best ever tag team division Haven't you heard? We've got Jericho Orange Cassidy and Michael Rio Like Tony Iger fantasy booking A title tournament now we're cooking And I can wait to hear what Cody has to say When Marcus Stunt goes all the way Watch Kenny Omega while I masturbate Hey mom, don't come in Go away, I'm watching wrestling Go away, I'm watching wrestling oh, This is wrestling heaven Don't listen to Corny, he hasn't been relevant since 87 He thinks that Luchasaurus can't work a lick or that Bobby Eaton could hold the candle to either Matt or him. He wants to cut up our heroes with a rusty fishing knife, or get them in the hot tub to play Scott the Submarine with him and his wife. And no, Mom, I'm not bitter. This has nothing to do with Jim blocking me on Twitter. And now, here comes Nero. Wearing pajamas like me, he's my hero. The young bucks could shoot on the Sawyer Make Brock Lesnar take a Canadian destroyer Don't come in, Mom! Don't come in! Are you touching yourself again? Uh, no. Did you the Wi-Fi password? Oh, no! Wednesday nights I get to stay up late Watch Kenny Omega while I masturbate Show. Elsa says I'm in the key demo. 